This is the municipal. Have you been paying attention to like city stuff? Don't vote, can't bitch. Sorry to uh, to point that finger at you. My answer was that would be yes and no. My tummy hurts, and I'm mad at the government. You're saying council wouldn't approve it, and two, you're robbing them of their their voice. It's it's he's already he's already failed to vote. And welcome to another jam-packed edition of the Municipals. I am Matthew. And I'm Philip. And Philip, we are back again. And, you know, this number, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And as we are recording, we have 67 mayoral candidates. Seven since, well, technically the 1st of May, which was yesterday. Because we're recording a day late. Because we're releasing a day late. Oh my god! I just want to go That's over. Right. I just want to go over a few of these names. Uh, let's see. Oh, your boy grew. My boy grew. I'm very he, uh, excited for his candidates. He registered. Um, I don't know what's going on because I mean it's not a secret, right? He's the egg thrower. Yeah, yeah, I I wasn't sure if it was a it was a mystery initially. So anytime anyone talked about it, I loved alluding to him as the Eggman. Uh, so anytime anyone talked about it, it was just like, oh yeah, the Eggman. He did that cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's I don't th- I don't think it's a secret. So I think it's okay for us to say that Gru is in fact the Eggman. Can't wait to have him on the show to hear you know to hear his his plan his side of things you know i don't think it's a stretch to say that he probably grew up maybe different than you or i maybe i'm not speaking for him but maybe less fortunate and you know those stories are always different um so i i'd love to hear anything he has to say i can't wait to have him on the show uh darren atkinson he he uh registered and i know I'm not speaking for him, but I know there was an issue. I think he filed late. Obviously, he took care of the problem because he's registered. So that's good. I, I can't. I'd like to talk to him too. Let's see here. Who else do we got? We have some guy named. See now. See this upsets me because I like being Matthew, and <laughs> there's only one other person in my life who is no longer in my life that I ever, ever allowed to call me Maddie. Cause I don't like that. I don't. Right. But there's a guy. It's a on terrible, here. It is a terrible nickname. Let me tell you. Right. Uh, I, I never got, never understood when girl like Madeline would go by Maddie. Does that not sound terrible? Yes. So there's a guy or person. Let me correct myself. Person named Maddie Charlton. And if it's the same person I looked up on Twitter, I'm going to say this they? not live, Gender but recorded. Neutral? Yeah, sure. They, yeah, because I'm not, I don't know. So I, listen, <laughs> it's all good. We're, we're not all on the same level of understanding when it comes to gender ideologies and, and all that stuff. I just don't want to get the $20,000 fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Kevin Clark. Kevin Clark, we're gonna call call him out right now, um, as uh, you know, 
we've been we've been talking to a lot of mayoral candidates. Uh, and shout out to Matthew, uh, audience, because Matthew does the legwork. He gets in contact with these people, and he's very good about it. You guys, you guys really don't understand how good Matthew is at getting these people to come onto the show. Um, so hey, props, props to our main man Matthew, or uh, Maddie, as he loves to be referred to as. <laughs> Um, but, uh, Kevin Clark, uh, ditched us. He, he was supposed to come on an interview with us. And then, um, there is a, there's an interesting, I want to say political group chat that I'm a part of on Facebook. Uh, I believe started, I, I think it was started by a uh, former MSA, Adam Golding. I think it was started by him and I've sort of kept myself in there. I don't really pay too much attention. Um, but then I, I see Kevin Clark writing up this whole this narrative of the mainstream media ignoring him and and all this all this garbage. You you ditched us. Like, how are you going to complain about mainstream media not taking you seriously if you're not going to take advantage of the avenues presented before you? Kind of got Blake Acton vibes. Blake Acton vibes, indeed. You know. I read that thing you sent me, and it's interesting that he did his own polling, and it gives me an idea. So this is what I, this is what I want to do. Uh, I'm going to pick three days. Hopefully, this is what I want to do. I'm not committing to this, but this is what I want to do. I'm going to pick three days. We're we're jamming right now. Between now and election day, <clears throat> and go to different parts of the city and stay there all day on a street corner and converse with people and ask them, Hey, um, who are you going to vote for and do our own? You know, it'd be very fun to have one of those tables set up. Um, I feel like I've seen some people do these like outdoor podcasts. I think that'd be fun. Cause I don't, how do you feel about, about, about uh, the polling that's going on right now? I, I, I want to call bullshit on, on at least some of the polling. The numbers are always seem to skew the way that you want them. You know, Olivia Chow was leading the fucking race before she ever even entered it. And now that she's entered it, she's like blowing everyone away. I don't I don't believe that. I don't buy that. And and furthermore, where if you are indeed asking these people and this is a legitimate poll, where are you asking them? Are you asking them in her downtown riding from where she resides and where she ran federally? And municipally, did, are you? Does that work? Or did you go to Scarborough? Did you go to Rexdale? Did you go to North York? You know, not just in the little niche downtown area. I'm just wondering. See, Matthew, your, your thoughts. The thing is, you're correctly pointing out. I feel like there's two two ends to this. <clears throat> Everything you're saying is an is a, a good an absolute good skepticism to have when you look at polling, all polling. You know, um, a lot of them do try to take advantage of kind of regionals and, and where they do this polling. Um, so you're not wrong to be skeptical. Now, that isn't my way of saying that all polling is absolutely useless, but it is good to be skeptical of, you know, where this information is coming from. On, on Olivia Chow's part, I don't necessarily think it's, it's inaccurate. Only because in uh, in 2014, 
when Olivia Chow entered the race, she was also in the lead. And so there has to be some sort of name recognition to that. But, you know, by the end of the race, after platforms and, um, you know, debates come out, as we know, we did not have a mayor, Mayor Olivia Chow. It's, no, we it's had not a, that we had a mayor Rob Ford, wrong, but we had a mayor Rob no, 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 Ford, that was my boy. Oh wait, yeah, that was 2014. Fuck. No, no, no. You're right. Yeah, that was Tory. You're right. You're right. I got ex- I got too that excited. Was, gotta, <laughs> I got too excited. I, actually, I can't remember. Oh, actually, we'll, we'll talk about it in a bit. Um, but yeah, so it's the thing is, I feel like the polls. The most important number of the polls, in my mind, that have come out so far, is the largest number. As in every poll I've seen, the largest number is undecided, which to me just says this race is still wide open, and and anyone can anyone can get that undecided support. And but Matthew, all those things you brought up are things to be skeptical about when polling happens. Absolutely. And good on you for calling out Kevin Clark. And now we're going to move forward to our first interview. And welcome back, guys. We are having some technical difficulties right now. Phil will be joining us momentarily. But for now, it's just me. You know me. I'm Matthew. And uh, I am joined by 2023 mayoral candidate Frank D'Angelo. Welcome to the show, Frank. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I like to open up the interview by giving you the floor uh, to detail um, your your plan, your policies that you would put in place should you win the mayor's chair. So with that, the floor is yours. Go ahead. Well, I mean, the, the biggest problem right now that I see, even before when I, before I decided to run for mayor, is that the, a lot of the candidates, especially career politicians that are already well-versed in the situation. The city of Toronto is almost a billion dollars in the hole, a billion dollars in the red, and they're making all these promises. And I don't understand where the money's going to come from other than you're going to have to raise taxes. And then they raise the taxes. They don't spend the money properly. And then it's a perpetual will. So my, my goal is to try to have a cash flow. And the first thing that I would implement is tolls. I would charge tolls for anybody that doesn't live in the city, that works in the city. There's uh, uh, almost 750,000 cars that come out of of town, and uh, I would charge a toll. And uh, that would raise uh, a substantial amount of money because that's five days a week, and that's their taxes are going to their municipalities, so our citizens are the ones that are paying for the road repairs for, for, and the other, the other thing that I would do is I would have a forensic audit done to Metrolinx. I, I have never seen so much incompetence in my life. And they are draining the, 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 the bank account. Um, I, I lived uh, for 25 years in Forest Hill and, and uh, all of uh, Eglinton has been a mess. I don't think I've ever remember Eglinton running properly. And, you know, Metrolinx is a crown corporation run by the province of Ontario. And it seems like nobody's watching them. And they go through all these budgets. Now, for where, where I come from, in, in uh, my business background, a budget means 
That's all you have. That's what you, those are the parameters to spend. You can't make a budget, then make another budget, then another budget, eight budgets later, and the taxpayers are, are, pay, are paying for this incompetence. Well, I think, sorry, I'm just going to jump in. I think that uh, in terms of budgets, when we're talking about stuff like uh, um, building transit, even construction crews, road crews, they go overtime and over budget. You know, that's one thing that I harped about uh, in the last election is just the the you got to see it for yourself right there's got to be a a a welder on site there's got to be an electrician on site a plumber on site all these different trades even if they're not needed because they they need a a crew and you know what you drive you you drive right i drive we drive and we we see them and they're standing around and there's just so many of them and it's always over time and over budget it's inconvenient. And and the other thing I, I don't understand is when they're doing construction and it's down to one lane, they don't increase the the time at the light, which is something I don't understand. If anything, it, it seems like they decrease the light so that the 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 because they're bottlenecking it and so it builds up faster. I don't know. Your thoughts. Well, my thoughts are um, when you do a budget, you always put in a 5% for variables for the guys who are going to stand around for the, uh, the, the people. But if you have um, um, a very well-organized system, you're not going to have people standing around. You're going to bring in the crew specific tasks done every day. Now, about the lights, I agree with you. I'm, I'm pretty sure that there's uh, they're uh, trying to build up a huge traffic, let them go all, uh, all at once. That might make sense in one way, but for the people making a left, forget about it. They're going to be there till Tuesday. You might as well pack a lunch. But look, it's easy to criticize. So what I would do, the first thing I would do with Metrolinx, because I believe that they are the management in a whole and the government that is subsidizing them and agreeing to these massive, massive budgets need to be there need to be a forensic audit and somebody somebody's got a the head's got a role management needs to be replaced because it's not working right now and we are in a city in a huge growth spurt like every year every day every week every month we we need to have plans we need to have plans and 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 right now it seems like nobody has a plan they said that they're going to put a, a subway uh, or an extension and build uh, and uh, work on the road. That's been 10 years, 11 years, 12 years. Anyways, for me, my biggest, the reason I'm running for mayor, I was born and raised in Toronto, and it's breaking my heart on how it's it's going backwards. It's not going forward. And everybody makes promises. And, you know, it's uh, the, the promise you the sky, the sun and the moon. And then during the storm that they create, the only people who get the umbrella is the one percent and the donors and everybody else pays for the stupidity, the lies and the incompetence of the politicians. So I'm, I'm hoping that we'll put a lean, mean team together and we, we will address all of the money that, you know, you can't go over budget a billion dollars in a city being a, 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 almost a billion dollars. I don't want to exaggerate and and have the city in the in the way that it is. I do not want to be 
another city where they run out of money, they leave it alone, they walk away from it, like a lot of cities in the United States, they abandon everything. And, and you can only sweep dirt under the carpet so long. The whole house is going to get dirty. And that's what they're doing in Toronto. They're picking and choosing different spots. Pick, they're picking different spots to develop, to, to spend. And, and now where's everybody going to live? I don't understand how somebody can survive uh, with their job and pay twenty five, thirty five, four thousand, five thousand dollars a month plus plus plus. plus. You raise a great point, uh, Phil. Welcome back. Did you want to jump in with a question? Yeah, well, I am not feeling very well, so maybe that helps add to the character. Oh, sorry to hear that. Well, while you're figuring <laughs> while you're figuring that out, Philip, uh, Frank. Just quickly now, your positions on uh, moving the Ontario Science Center. Um, what you should, what you think should be done with um, uh, Ontario Place, and uh, your position on the Gardner rebuild it, tear it down, some sort of hybrid. I'd love to hear what you have to say. One at a time. I can only. Sorry. I'm a, a typical guy. So listen, let's start start with the science center. I grew up going to the science center. I go. It was a huge wow factor in my childhood. So I believe that there's some great universities in Toronto, York University, the Ryerson, the University of Toronto. I think that I would put the science center and consolidate it with one of the universities. Then you have some really serious you can have some students uh, walk in and, and, and be on staff. I wouldn't put it on Ontario Place. And I would take that land and build affordable homes. When people hear affordable housing, they think it's housing for free. And it's housing on the back of the taxpayers. No. Affordable homes. So I'm, I'm going to give you, a, a, like, I don't have any figures in front of me, but let's say today a subdivision home costs $150 a square foot. That's without the land. Just the the you know drywall doors in right very modest very ba basic and um so if that land belongs to the city you don't have to charge a gazillion dollars for the land to be uh, 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 to implement the huge cost where it's you're charging fifteen hundred dollars a square foot to somebody to live in a in a in a shoebox so i would build affordable housing in that area and uh I would not bring the Science Center to Ontario Place. And I would uh, rebuild the Gardener. You can't take the Gardener. If you think there's gridlock right now in the city of Toronto, you, you tear down a main artery. The heart's not going to be able to pump blood to the brain, and it's going to be catastrophic in my view, right? The Gardener needs to be repaired. And the way it's going to be repaired is with the tolls you need. I was in the States and I went from this, this small city to another city and there's tolls between every city. Somebody's got to pay for the, the repairs of the potholes. Yeah, we, uh, we, I hear what you're saying. We hit a, um, some tolls on the way down to North Carolina, went there in October. So I get it. And that's the way they keep the taxes down at the municipalities, right? And, and it's wear and tear. If you put on a pair of shoes every day, dude, nobody else is going to buy you a new pair of shoes. You're going to have to go buy a new pair of shoes yourself. And the, the tolls are the pair of shoes. You're using a pair of shoes to come from Oakland, from Hamilton, from Pickering, from wherever to work in the city of Toronto. You're using our shoes. 
So you're going to have to pay. And, uh, and, and I think that it would be catastrophic, catastrophic if they decided, you know, they, they, they make these decisions, uh, they get the, the, and the amount of money that's being paid to consultants for the city of Toronto is bizarre. So why are you uh, elected if you don't know what you're doing, you need a consultant to tell you what to do. That's so, a great point. Philip, uh, are you, uh, are you good now? How's my audio now? Oh, it's great. Oh, that doesn't make any sense, but that's great. Cool. I just took off my headphones. Okay. Uh, Frank, um, personally, um, in my opinion, I don't think, I don't think there's any problem that is more important for Torontonians to solve. I mean, the city itself, it's really not, but, uh, the most important thing for us to solve is our revenue issue. Uh, I feel like every other problem in the city we can't solve it without money. I mean, that's just pretty, that's, you know, bare bones thought. Um, and you've, you know, you've stated support for tolls. I'm not opposed to tolls. I think tolls would be fine. Uh, sorry, I should pause myself and say it's rich for me to say I'm cool with tolls. I don't have a car. <laughs> so that's, I'm going to stop myself. I can't just say that's cool because it won't affect me. You should. You um, should say it even louder. Excuse me for interjecting. You should say it even louder because you do not have a car, but you're paying taxes to for the oh, roads yeah. to be repaired. People that have cars, so you should be pissed. So the tolls will bring in revenue. And the other thing that we got hurt on, major, major, is the deal we made with Uber and Lyft and screwed all the taxi drivers who paid 100, 150,000, 200,000 for license plate. I believe 100% we need revenue and you cannot continue grabbing the Torontonians, the taxpayers by the throat every time the, the city council and the mayor and the administration and the leaders make these giant, giant cacas. And then they, they say, okay, we need more money. So right now there's an almost, let's call it a billion dollars. There's a billion dollar deficit. You you got people running for mayor and they're all promising 200 million for green. And where is it coming from? Who's paying for it? Well, well that's why I'm saying that it's it's the number one thing. I, I truly believe that it's, we have to resolve our revenue issue in the city and then we can solve everything else. What about the, the single biggest line item in the Toronto city budget? the police budget, um, would you be in favor of looking for efficiencies or is that something that, you know, cause you have to go all the way back to Rob Ford to find a mayor that was willing to look at the police budget for efficiencies. And I'm just wondering how you feel about that. Well, I feel two, three things, three things on the police It is absolutely essential for a city of this size to have rules and you need somebody to enforce those rules. If you don't, the area, the street, the neighborhood is going to go straight to hell. So I would look at how the, the, the city is paying the police, what the budget is, and how they're implementing the safety of the areas, right? Like, And also, you need to have specific uh, expertise, you know, whether they go in, in, uh, on a call and there's somebody who has uh, issues, mental health issues, right? Domestic, and then a bank robbery or crime. Those three things have to be separate. You can't you, you can't have them all together, but you need to take a look. You need to keep the city safe. So it's gonna be a big part of the budget. 
It, it, I mean, anybody who says it's not is full of shit. You can't have one without the other. You, 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 you need insurance in your car. I know, you know, most of the time you're okay, but that time that you don't have insurance, what do you do? That's right. And the you're other a, thing, you're absolutely right. The other thing that's very near and dear to me is the homeless. I, 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 they all pass the buck. Uh, you know, they, they, it's like they want to keep them invisible. Now, my plan is to start a lottery and call it the Hope Lottery. And it'll just like Lotto 649, Lotto Max, people play, they can win. But all the proceeds are going to go to shelters, medical, uh, facilitate the medical needs of the homeless, right? And help them. They freeze to death in the winter. They die of dehydration in the summer. And nobody gives a rat's ass because they're they're too busy thinking about the condos and the waterfront and 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 making different pockets of the city beautiful which is okay but it, it sh if you have a family you need to put food in the fridge for everybody you need to take care of everybody and the homeless that's uh, i'm you know i'm really pissed at what they did this year to the homeless under mr tory's uh, uh, you know, and and in the winter, this we had a brutal winter. It was cold. It was cold. There, nobody opened up the churches who don't pay taxes. Don't open up their doors to, to the to the to the homeless. Like you, you would really free up a lot of people on the street if some of the churches jumped in and helped. Absolutely, uh, Philip. I'll give you the last question, and then we'll uh, we'll go to the closing statement. Go ahead. Uh you know, this isn't entirely related to what's been going on unless, you know, I know I've been missing in the beta empire thus far to talk about it. Um, Frank, what do you think about our current TTC service? Um, are you in favor of reversing those cuts uh, that were implemented under John Tory's, you know, very gracious uh, exit budget? So, so the TTC is very important, and I would I would put a lot of concentration on TTC because I don't want people to drive going down the city. In fact, let me just digress two seconds, and I'm going to come back to you. Which I would like you could only get go downtown on a bike or an electric car. I want to stop pollution down there, right? And also, if if I'm I'm going to be speaking to all the cab drive the cab companies uh, in in the next week or so, if, if they come down to drop off people, their licensing fee, their VIG or the charges that the, the city is paying, if it's electric car, it'll be less money than if they're driving a, a, a fossil fuel car. Now let's go back to the TTC. First thing that is terrible about the TTC that's dilapidated is safety. There's no safety. You need all the major cities in the world, whether it's Moscow, whether it's uh, New York City, they have transit police. We have no security down there. I would put specific police, transit police, TTC police there. And then I would upgrade it. You, you, you have to take a look at how efficient it is. You, you can make money and you need to sell advertising inside. You know, people are just sitting there. You need to put screens in there. You need to bring revenue. You need to bring in revenue, cash dollars. That way you can repair the cars that are crappy. You can, you can have them clean so they can smell like urine. You, you, you can uh, have also sanitize them. It's, you know, it's a tube of germs. I, I took the subway when I went to register to be the mayor of Toronto. 
And I had, you know, I hadn't taken a subway in a hundred years. So it was a culture shock for me. And buying this card was bullshit to me. Like, why would you have to, why can't you just tap? You still have to need a credit card or a bank card to buy the Metrolink card. Why, why wouldn't you just tap? Tap. And that's it. No card. You say, and now if you're going to do the cards, sell advertising on the back of the card. That's it's thousands and thousands of dollars. You, you hit the nail on the head. We need to bring in revenue outside the, the beating that to live in Toronto, you take in your taxes. It, it, beating. So that's the way I see things. Absolutely. I like what I hear. And uh, Frank, now this is your time to talk directly to our listeners, the voters. Let them know what it would be like under a Mayor D'Angelo government. Go ahead. The floor is yours. Don't forget to include your website. Uh, my website is very simple. Frankformayor.ca. Frankformayor.ca. Um, listen, um, I'm a straight shooter. I was born and raised in Toronto. I'm a man of my word um, because I have a big ego and I don't want anybody. I would never promise something I couldn't deliver. I, my priorities are the safety of, of Toronto. That's my first priority. My second priority is uh, the Toronto TTC to make it efficient and make it the way to travel. We, we, we have a pretty decent infrastructure in transportation. It needs to be safe. It needs to be updated. It needs to be cleaned. And I want to make sure that people take it. And within that business model, we need to sell advertising. It's, you have a, a crowd there, which they are peeps. That's what you pay for when 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 there's a Toronto. By the way, go leave school. And the other the other thing for me is is the homeless. So the first day, I would sit down and put together a team, a team that's going to work with me, not consultants that are just people that come in, send a bill, and tell me what to do. I don't need people telling me what to do. I need to hear the voice of Torontonians because I will be working for them. There's an old saying: "Voice of the people, voice of God." I hear what the Toronto people are saying in Toronto. We need to help the homeless and we need to make every single area in the greater GTA safe, clean and precise. And the last thing I'm going to say is the biggest pet peeve I have on top of all the other crap that that is perpetual in a city of this size is the landlords. If I go to a slumlord building and there's a lot elevator not working and I'm going to make sure that you, so we have health inspectors that go to restaurants. We're going to have inspectors that go to buildings. And if you're you're not taking care of the building, I'm going to make sure that all the tenants don't have to pay that money. They should not have to pay exuberant rent in a slum building. They should. Nobody deserves that. Nobody. So I hope that uh, people give me a chance. I'm not a career politician, nor nor do I want to be. I want this job because I want to help my city. I'm, I'm a, it's it's also a little selfish that I want this job. I want to make sure it's safe for my children, for their children. The, the future of Toronto. So that's my selfishness that I want. I do not want politicians to continue doing things that benefit their donors and the upper, the top 1%. I want every single Torontonian to benefit from my decisions. Thank you so much for coming on and being a straight shooter. We always appreciate that here on the municipals and uh, you know, we are still early in the campaign trail, but we wish you nothing but luck as you go along and uh, go towards Election Day. And we'll be in touch uh, as far as the debate goes. And uh, we'll, we'll see you then.
Thank you so much. Thank you for allowing me on your show, and you have a good night. And that was Frank D'Angelo. Good interview. Good guy. Uh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Obviously, <laughs> I, I do think he has some – he does have some – I'm very happy that he's not quite, um, I want to say, as samey as a lot of our, you know, Brad Bradford's kind of candidates. Uh, I do feel like his views on cars are a little bit simplistic. And I, I, I feel like it's hard because no one's really addressing. We know the city is in a budget crunch, but I, I feel like we're getting so many people who just status just in their brain they think the neutral idea is yeah we just have to rebuild the garden we just have to figure it out absolutely <laughs> and you know we said we were going to work on that graph or more more so you where would you put him frank d'angelo on the graph on the graph i would <laughs> i you know is he he's got right wing or center right i think he might be center right I think center right is probably a good place to place them. Interesting. More center right. Uh, if we're just for a quick comparison, are we putting Brad Bradford center right? And if so, who's closer to the center? Would that be Frank D'Angelo or Brad Bradford? You know, interestingly, I feel like if I were to say how Brad Bradford campaigned as a counselor, I would I would say he was a centrist, but I feel like he's he's campaigning pretty i was gonna say hard right but what i mean is like a hard turn from the center um because he's he's talking more broadly like very car focused very police focused um so i do think frank is more center than bradford is that's because brad bradford is not a centrist he's a bradfordist bradford <laughs> actually that's that's fair you know um i do get the sense that bradford is most interested in, in power you know no, so that more, bradford is m most interested in bradford but yes to your point yes yes <laughs> all right so now we're gonna get on so i listen to a lot of podcasters and i'll give them all the credit um one of my favorite podcasters his name is jim Cornette, and uh when he he says stuff like it's time to get to the meat of the matter or it's nut cutting time, so that's what it is here. It's it's time to get to the meat of the matter. We want to talk about the quasi uh, by election related situation that went down this past week. Yeah, all the news uh, uh, probably have already reported on this, but they're not going to go as detailed as Phil and I are. And we're going to get down to it. We're going to play the videos and we're going to talk about it. And who knows uh, what's going to happen. And part one will go now and then we'll take a, a break. We'll do the next interview and then we'll come back for part two. So what am I referring to? I'm referring to a, a public meeting that was posted as a public meeting for the... Um, senior toronto seniors uh, i'm trying to get this right give me one second the toronto seniors basically it's it's a city of toronto seniors focused uh, uh um corporation i think is the word corporation so what i'm looking for 
they were holding a meeting uh, at Willowdale Manor, 175 Cummer Avenue. And the purpose of the meeting was to vote on, um, I guess, building that was going to take place directly across the street in a green space that's located directly across the street from 175 Cummer. Now, we can argue what that was going to be, whether it was going to be, uh, uh, um, what kind of homes were they against? Sorry, I can't remember. The, the I think on they're the... supportive, supportive housing. Supportive. I thought it was mobile. No, it's not mobile. That's not the word. Modular. Modular. Thank you. Fuck, I can't remember. See, I got a horrible memory sometimes. <laughs> so you can argue whether or not the meeting was regarding modular housing, uh, supportive housing, or um, safe. The 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 install. Oh, fuck. I the word installation of a safe injection site. That part to me, as far as I can tell, is not clear. Um. However, that's not my bitch. That's not what I'm complaining about. And and that may matter uh, down the line, but that's not what I'm complaining about. So here's the story. Three, and I'm going to say prominent for lack of a, and I don't mean that as a slight to all 67 mayoral candidates, but three prominent candidates, Rob Davis, who was a guest here on the municipals, Anthony Fury, who was a guest here on the municipals, and Giorgio Mammoliti, who I'm hoping to have on the show in the next few weeks, all wanted to attend this meeting. Now, it was a public... You can jump in anytime, Phil. <laughs> it was a public well, meeting. So the issue is... <laughs> I mean, we're. We, I feel like we we will have. Let a me lot to let, talk let me about. let me Actually, set the stage. Let me set the stage, and then and then and then before I play the video, you you uh, uh, you you can have your. Bill, jump in whenever. Bill, <laughs> let me set I'm the so, stage. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So it's all good. So it was a public meeting, which means to me it's a public meeting. I don't need an invitation to attend. That's one. Two. They could have very well been invited by the residents that live in the building. We don't know that. So that's two. Number three, and it states in the municipal, uh, uh, sorry, in the, is it the Elections Act or the Municipal Elections Act? It's one of them. I've got it uh, as part of a video. I'll read it afterwards. Um, it states that during an election or by-election, which is what we are currently in, that Candidates cannot be denied access to apartment, building, condo, whatever, whatever. And they were denied. They were barred. They were banned. Um, before I go any further, and now that I've set the stage, Phil, take it away. Uh, you know, here's... Oh, no. <laughs> the thing is, Matthew, you've presented... You've presented this very well. Because as you know... I want to be mad at at the candidates. I I want to be mad at them, but the things you're saying right now, as as far as I understand it, are all true. I until like we get more information, say from Lily Chang, for example, I really don't know what would be the logical reason to bar them from coming to this meeting, and and to your point about the Municipal Elections Act. 
which I am pretty sure it's the Municipal Elections Act. Um, and that, yeah, there you are, you are allowed to canvas and um, and be entering these buildings. So you're absolutely correct that there's some fuckery going on there. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Does it matter what the meeting was about? In in the context of them being allowed in? Correct. Perhaps. Perhaps it was, uh, you know, maybe it was getting like a, a local, I don't want to say a vote, but like a local kind of support thing of, you know, they want this to be built, they don't want it to be built. And by adding people like from outside, it would be influencing it. That's, I'm not, I'm not actually subscribing to that. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of trying to throw out anything that could be a justification for why they couldn't be there. When, when you presented it the way you did, you're correct. They should have been allowed to be at that meeting. What Phil, I think is trying to say is that I think we disagree on one issue and it's okay to say it. He's actually, you're pro safe injection sites. Yes. Where I'm not. Right. I, do, I don't like the idea that, and and it doesn't. It's it's not about it being in my backyard. I don't care where it is. I don't want it. it I I I think it's wrong to have a place where you you can go and get high. It's safe to do so. You can do that. You can go and get high, and and that when when you say safe injection site, and maybe I'm ignorant, and if I am, I'll, I'll own that. Um. That's what I think about when when I when I see that, and and I also uh, we're also sending the message that it's it's okay, you know. I've unfortunately um, through my years have been uh, uh, had to watch someone addicted to drugs. It is fucking hard to watch, and you know, couple the safe injection site issue with the. The, the the push to decriminalize street drugs, I think, is a wrong step because you couple one one by itself is is it, it might be a little bad, but it's not so bad. But if you couple them both together, it's a recipe for a disaster. Now I'll be quiet and let you school me. Go ahead. I, I don't I don't know if it's so much schooling you, Matthew, especially because I'm not an expert. Um, and well, neither, I, neither always, am I. Neither am I. Oh, I, I, I know. And I, I feel like this is a, this is an ideological divide. I don't, I don't want to say ideological, but I, I want to say there's, there's two approaches really to, let's call it drug treatment, and that is the, the, <laughs> um, like rehab, and this. So we call it safe injection sites, but I mean. I feel like it's it's a lot going on there and it's not it's not really just allowing people to get high. I mean, they are. It's but it's the idea of if these people are already going to get high, they're already addicted. And the danger is that the supply that some of these people get their drugs from is tainted and dangerous. And at at these like injection sites, my understanding is that it's not simply just consequence-free drug use, but it, it helps that it is the safest environment to do so. 
which is, and to be clear, it's these people were going to do it otherwise. In my mind, that's my understanding. If it's the choice between them potentially doing it out in public in the streets with a dangerous supply or in safety, I would, I would rather it be that. And I, I do believe that they have supports there to like help people who want to be helped in terms of like coming clean and stuff. I so it's not, it's not simply just giving it to them, but, and if, but I, I understand that some people do view that as, as enabling and hence in their mind, making the problem worse. It absolutely is coming from someone who's had to deal with it. I, that's exactly what I believe. And let me see if I can blow your mind for a minute. Just go with me on this journey. Imagine someone blows someone away. What happens to that person that blows that other person away? They get caught and they what? They go to jail. It's, it's not up for discussion. They go to jail, period, right? Sorry, Matthew, just to be clear, what, what do you mean when you I say mean, blows away here? Shoots them in the head. Okay. All right. Thank you. I feel like it's it's not so much very. Oh, you were you were seeing if I was an oral I was connotation. Confused. I was confused. <laughs> no, I mean shoot in the head. So they go okay. they they go to prison, and it's it's not <coughs> it's non negotiable. That's automatic. So <coughs> if if some person I won't even call them a, a name. If some person gets all drugged up because they're an addict and they're already an addict and they go to a safe injection site and they get high again. And then they, I don't know, get behind a wheel of a car, get do, do something, anything doesn't have to even be with a car, anything that hurts another individual. Why do we look at that person and go, Oh, they're, they're sick. They're sick. Okay. Fine, they're sick. I mean, why, why, why is the treatment not forced in the same manner that a prison sentence is forced for someone who blows someone away? If you hurt another individual, whether you're high or not, this is where I do agree with Anthony Fury on the on the forced drug rehab, and and that might not be a popular decision, uh, uh, um, a popular position with our listeners. I apologize for offending you. It's not about offending you guys. This is what I believe it's in. Not about, it's not about offense. It's it's just positions that, and it, it's it's all it's all informed by this is coming the from someone we read and how we grow up. And this you know? is com- this is I coming from it. someone who had a brother who uh, who I didn't know, who was a crack addict and got his crack one day while he was in Seton House and smoked it and didn't know that his crack was laced with fentanyl and he died of a drug overdose. This is the shit I'm talking about. And from what I've been told, I'm not going to say his name because it's nobody's business, but from what I've been told, my brother was a drug addict his whole life, but never got the help because he was never... uh, If you want to use the word forced, he was never forced to get the help. Sometimes you you can't wait around for people to hit. I know we're we're talking about Lily Chang and we're going to get to her in a minute, but no, I think this is more interesting. This is uh, (laughs) a, 
you 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 can't i i i can't stand people that's oh you can't help them until they reach rock bottom when they reach rock bottom not they're they're, they're not the only ones that get hurt yeah. by the way drug addicts do hurt themselves as well and that's that's also not good but they also hurt other people physically mentally emotionally sexually sometimes and it's not good and why aren't the rules the same for someone who blows someone away if you hurt someone else because you're you're high because you're an addict you should be forced into rehab and I, again i apologize if that's not a popular opinion but go go ahead philip i'll shut up now i feel like the thing is and i i like that we're having this conversation because it's it's a very it's a complicated topic and and I, I don't think I'd be able to bring up all of my thoughts or, or nuances here. Um, and not we're not we're not medical professionals. We're just doing the best with what we've got, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, I just think there's there's a lot of things going on. For example, um, when you when I think of forced treatment, I sort of see it as because in my mind, I'm separating. I understand that drug users can be violent, but I, you know, I don't believe that's universal. Treatment, forced treatment, I feel like is a mixed bag. It's only forced. Might- but hold on, Phil. It's only forced because the drug addict doesn't want the help. That's the only no, no. reason it's and, forced. And w- what I'm saying is. How, and I could be wrong. I'm I'm more wondering how successful forced treatment really is. I does that will that I, um I, I think I'm no. That's a great question. I don't have the statistics. I don't know. But but like, maybe maybe so it's... the thing you were saying of of um they have to wait until they until they until they hit rock bottom. I don't necessarily think that's true, but I, I think the important thing is that someone can't help themselves until they want to help themselves. I think that's the important thing. But usually and, they don't want to help themselves until they're they realize, oh fuck, I've hurt somebody really bad. Sometimes but that's would what that happens. not be would that not be realizing though? It's perhaps, hard. perhaps this is hard. This, it's a hard conversation. Like it is. I, I, my, my concern with, with, I mean, with forced treatment, it's both, um, you know, if it's someone who's not willing to get help, um, say they're forced into treatment, they do whatever the stint is, sixty days, um, and maybe even they get past some withdrawal symptoms, they come back out of not universally. I'm sure it has to work. It has to work with some people, right? But not some people are just going to go back out and keep using. It's the the truth is I don't think the safe injection site is foolproof. But I would I would say there are issues all around. It's a very oh my god, Matthew. So, we so- we picked a very a very hard topic for us to jump in and want to be. <laughs> so let's let's okay so. Let's go back to the Willowdale thing for a minute. So 
let's for argument's sake say it is a safe injection site is it really appropriate to put it right directly across the street from a senior's residence you're going to have people who again i apologize if anyone takes offense to what i'm about to say you're going to have drug addicts coming to this safe injection site to do their thing now i've been around a lot of drug addicts how do i put this nicely I, there's no nice way to put it the majority of them are not nice people they can be thieves they can be violent and you're talking about elderly vulnerable residents of this city your thoughts it's I've okay if, it's okay if you disagree i the thing is i i disagree but on a on a very specific principle um you know this modular the important less important in my mind here is the safe injection site um and more important in my mind is modular housing being made for unhoused people realizing that the potential image of a safe injection site obviously makes that a hard sell in this particular case well actually no my main point is if not there where and i and i and i don't mean that very plainly because if you know i'm sure you could bring up a lot of sites where you're like you know it could be here it could be here it could be here you're going to get opposition wherever they go absolutely and i i it's kind of a it's it it becomes and by the way for our our listeners let me remind you i don't live in willowdale i live in rexdale so it's not a case of me saying not in my backyard but i'm saying maybe not at the doorstep of a senior's home for which I don't live. So I have no, what I'm trying to say to our listeners is I have no skin in the game. It, it doesn't, it theoretically, it doesn't matter to me where they put it. I don't really care. I just of the opinion that it doesn't belong at the doorstep of a senior's home. That's, that's all I'm trying to say. Your Go point ahead. is fine. Your point is fine. My main thought is simply, as I said, it would be opposed pretty much anywhere. And, and that is correct. And with that, we're going to go to our next interview. We're going to continue this when we come back. And welcome back. I'm Matthew, as always, here with Philip. And we are joined by 2023 mayoral candidate Chris Langenfield. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you, Matthew. Good to be here. Hi, Philip. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Uh, now this is your your chance. We want you to have the floor to talk about the policies and the plans that you'd like to implement. Uh, granted, if you win the mayor's chair, go ahead. The floor is yours. Thank you. Um, I think number one, really, for Toronto, is we need to restore the basic fundamentals of democracy. Um, we've seen John Tory really reducing the ability of the people of this city to have their say and be involved in what's going on. Um, I got into this because I started attending the Toronto Police Services Board meetings after the Sammy Yatim killing, and so I had the opportunity to sit across the table there when John Tory joined the board, and I saw him uh, making all kinds of efforts to really prevent people from being able to have their voice heard, 
and uh, have some involvement in, in our city government and just to be able to voice their ideas and, and make their recommendations. And that's what actually led me to run against him the first time. And uh, the, the problems he created are, are still there and worse. And so I, that's why I'm still here running. Um, unfortunately, none of the other candidates uh, seem to be worried about trying to resolve those issues. They all have their, their little niche uh, things that they want to address. And of course, most of them are uh, the career politicians, the city councillors, MP and MPP that uh, made all the policies that got us into this situation. So this uh, idea of theirs that somehow uh, if we just put them in charge, the ideas that got us here are suddenly going to solve all our problems for us uh, just seems ridiculous to me. Um, so I, th I think it starts with that idea of, of actually having public uh, involvement and, and all of us being able to know that our voices are being heard. And, you know, for the most part, we, we don't want to worry about government. We just expect them to do their job and, and take care of everything and, uh, and go about things properly. But when we have a concern, we expect to be able to have our voices heard. It should be simple that we can just uh, put our two cents in and, and be listened to and that the will of the people overall should be what's uh, actually reflected by our government. And of course, we know that in terms of issues, the, the three big issues, of course, are housing, crime and transportation. And so um, I, I expect to, uh, to have <laughs> steps to address all of those. Um, they're, they're all really interrelated. Um, housing is a, a big core issue uh, with crime that uh, right now we have over 10,000 people in our uh, shelter system right now. And the way the shelters work is uh, the people get kicked out uh, after breakfast and they're not allowed back in until uh, supper time. So we've got 10,000 uh, people that are, a lot of them have uh, mental issues. Uh, they're, they're obviously in transition and facing a rough time in life. And we're kicking them out onto the street to look after themselves during the day. And then we're surprised that uh, they're hanging out on the TTC or they're causing minor crime and our police say they're too busy responding to, uh, to crime. Well, of course, we're creating that with all these people. So we certainly have to, uh, to take care of the housing issue and, uh, and create some housing for those people. But you look at what we've got for TCHC housing at this point, and uh, in a lot of cases, it's what were nice apartment buildings. They're, they're now old and out of date. We've got a $1.6 billion backlog of repairs. Uh, they're falling apart and, and need work, but they're also, you know, one, two, three bedroom apartments with, uh, you know, like the, the average uh, person would have. And that's certainly not what we need to deal with uh, when we're talking about the, the homeless uh, population where what they need is a roof over their head. They need uh, a cheap room. Um, they need access to bathroom and kitchen and, and uh, you know, all the basic amenities, but we don't need to be looking at uh, 800 square foot or 1,000 square foot apartments that are bigger than half the condos that people are buying today. And meanwhile, the taxpayers are funding it and then we can't afford to uh, repair them. So in terms of new builds, we need to look at focusing on designs that are appropriate for uh, particularly for the, the 10,000, actually about 12,000 people that are currently homeless and 10,000 shelter spaces we have for them. Um, and 
that will then also help to address the crime, both on our streets and on the TTC. We know that uh, a lot of the issues on TTC are, are simply uh, people that are, are sleeping on there, the homeless people, the, the mentally challenged people, the people begging up, going up and down the, uh, the trains. And um, it's, it's, you know, if we have a, a place for them to be, if we have a home and a roof over their head, most of those people are going to stay home and sit on the computer or watch TV or whatever. They're only out there because we don't give them the choice. And so right there, solving the housing will help to solve some of our crime on particularly the TTC, but the other issue on the TTC is things like people that don't pay their fares. And we see it all the time. I've seen recently where there's lots of cases, people tap on, their cards are empty, the driver doesn't say a word. Uh, I had a situation where one guy got on, didn't have enough money to pay, and the response from the driver was, well, you know, there's guys that come on and check that. And if they catch you, it's going to be, uh, I think it was $475 fine. And, and uh, you know, but meanwhile, the guy didn't pay and the driver just drove off and, and left them on there. So I'm going to put an end to that. I'm going to move back to having our drivers and our fare collectors enforcing the, the expectation of payment um, that unless there's some kind of sort of special circumstances that we can all understand that happens. But for the normal uh, situation, we know that uh, people should be paying. And right now, the way that, uh, especially under Tory, uh, the process that we put in place for fair enforcement is we've got these gangs of four to six fair enforcement officers uh, in uh, body armor and uniforms getting on to the TTC transit basically uh, surrounding people and demanding that those people prove that they haven't uh, committed a crime and that they've paid their fare. And I argue that that's actually the opposite of what our constitution states is, is acceptable. Uh, we're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. And so I will put an end to that policy. We will go back to um, the fare inspectors. What we'll do is we'll switch them over to plain closed officers and if they see somebody get on and that didn't tap their fare or, or walking onto the property and not going through the turnstiles and, and paying, um, then they'll approach them and deal with that where they have reasonable cause to believe somebody committed a crime. But the rest of the time, um, they have to have the, the reasonable suspicion that, uh, that a crime has taken place before they actually start demanding people uh, prove that they've paid their fare. The rest of the time, though, they will be on those buses in plain closed and the driver will know that, uh, that those people are there to back them up so that the driver can feel comfortable telling the people to get off when they haven't paid, knowing that there's backup there. Because we hear all kinds of stories of drivers being attacked by, uh, by people when if a driver dares to demand that somebody pay their fare. And so the driver knowing that there's basically plain closed backup there uh, will ensure that the drivers feel safe and, and that they can uh, do that part of the job safely. But it'll also mean that the people that have been taking advantage recently and getting on and simply refusing to pay will never be quite sure. There can be just some guy there standing and uh, the, the person getting on not paying isn't going to know. Is that a fair enforcement officer that's ready to back up the, uh, the driver? 
are they is somebody watching me to make sure I tap on or is it just going to be oh well maybe I'll get caught and, and corralled and be forced to prove that I haven't committed a crime um, and then the third issue there and I, I don't know if you want to jump in I'm just talking here and uh, <laughs> well actually, no I do have a thought yes Phil I was going to say Phil <laughs> you, go ahead you know because I was I was sort of waiting for an opportunity to uh to, to talk to you to ask you about your sort of position on on city democracy because uh you're right it isn't something so much that other candidates are talking about although i think there is one mayoral candidate who i think should be talking about it and that's of course uh counselor slash mayoral candidate matlow who uh recently went through the uh ethics commissioner you know situation Batty where you tried to call out city was that the Batty decision, Robert Batty, the integrity commissioner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I feel like he, you know, he would know what you're talking about when it comes to, I want to say, the the culture around the city staff. And I, I just, um, hey, I just thought it was interesting that you brought that up because, yeah, as you said, nobody else is talking about that sort of stuff. And I, I just sort of wonder how how as mayor you could influence that change. Yeah. Well, I, and I agree with you. I actually met uh, Matt Lau uh, down at uh, one of these events and, and mentioned to him that, uh, you know, the way things went with that, uh, the idea of him raising an issue with, uh, with staff apparently having lied to him and uh, the, the response of uh, the city integrity commissioner and, and others is basically that, the problem is somebody pointing out that uh, staff lied, not the problem being that staff lied, um, yeah. which I think the rest of us think is just ridiculous. Uh, 100% it, agree. Yeah. It all comes down to to policies, though. I mean, we, um, you know, the the city has uh, has actually put in place a, a policy, and I believe it came in under Tory, but I'm not sure about that, um, where basically it, it says that uh that the councillors and, and others can't point out when they think staff lied. And I understand why that is, that uh, it's supposed to be um, because staff don't really have the opportunity to necessarily defend themselves. And, and we have to certainly uh, treat city workers fairly and, and they shouldn't be bullied, but uh, we have to simply create the policies and, and pass them through council that uh, if somebody's caught lying, um, you know, if, it, if it's a minor thing where it's questionable whether they intended to do it, then maybe there's just punishment. If, it, if they clearly intended it, to, which it seems was the case here, where somebody uh, was actually lying intentionally to provide uh, John Tory's mayor's office point of view rather than the truth, uh, the, the policy should be that person's fired, and that's the end of it. But uh, there is no sort of acceptable uh, compromise there that that's simply the rules and you know you should know better if you're in government that you can't get away with lying uh, especially to council and which is really lying to all of the public as well because the councillors are there to represent us and to to act on our behalf so I, really sorry i'm just gonna i'm just gonna i'm just gonna uh jump in please this policy that you're referring to this was you said sorry i'm just going to go back for a minute you said it was brought in under john tory correct i yeah i believe so it's it's because is i this is this yeah. because is this because of what happened uh 
during the time that Rob Ford was mayor and he was, uh, you know, everyone was coming at him and then he just started naming names. It, 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 he did yeah. it. He did, he did it publicly. He did it. I'm, I'm sure privately. Um, I, is this to uh, curtail at least some of that? It, it might well be, but I think that, uh, you know, we have all these systems in place and currently for all the rest of us, if, uh, if somebody calls us a liar, um, we have only really one option, and that is the courts, whether that's the, the legal courts or whether that's something like the uh, Ontario Human Rights Commission or something like that. Um, and so that should be the, the proper recourse for staff. Um, as well, of course, they have a union, so they can do union grievances. And uh, uh, we all know that the, the city workers union isn't a weak group any more than the federal workers union is right now. Um, so, you know, we that 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 should be dealt with, though, through the systems that already existed and already worked for that. Now, you know, where where a councillor or a mayor gets out of control and, and is you know, especially making false accusations or anything like that, then there certainly needs to be accountability. And whether that's counsel, through council or through the courts or through the uh, Human Rights Commission that they come back and, uh, and levy a fine or whatever the case may be, um, really that's the system we have to go through. We can't have a system where we just say, you know what, you can't voice your complaints and, and you just got to keep quiet. You don't like it. Well, that's too bad. They're there's, they're government workers, they're allowed to do whatever they want, and there's no accountability for them, which is basically what the current situation is. Absolutely. And um, I, going off topic a little bit, I, I'd love to get your position on um, the Science Centre, uh, what's happening on, at Ontario Place, and the Gardner Expressway, rebuild it, uh, tear it down, or some sort of hybrid, and... Uh, Again, the floor is yours, my friend. Thank you. Um, with, uh, with the Science Centre and, and Ontario Place, I mean, it's the Ontario Science Centre and Ontario Place. They are, uh, Doug Ford's uh, controls those areas. And so there's not, we don't have any way to stop him from doing anything. We can try and negotiate with him. Um, you know, we can try and come up with better ideas. Personally, I think the move is a bad idea. Um, I'm not a fan of having the Therm Spa in there. I don't think that uh, Toronto needs a, a great big mega spa down there. But at the same time, we need some ideas of, of what to do with that great land down there in Ontario Place. I mean, when we were growing up as kids, that was a place to go occasionally. And, and you would go down there and, and enjoy a, a nice day. Um, there isn't the, the infrastructure there to do that. And it wasn't able to support itself as a sort of just a place to go visit. And I don't know if that's because of Canada's wonderland and that became a place to go, um, or sort of what the issue is. And so I think that is one of those areas where it comes down to public involvement, public consultation. We got to see what ideas we can really come up with, uh, from the public because, I'm sure some people out there are going to have some really great ideas. I, I only know what I'm not really a fan of in this case down there. And it, it's, 
it's great land, it's public land. I don't really want to see it become uh, privatized for something. And I, I think, you know, I've heard people out here in Scarborough saying, you know, we have so little here in terms of, uh, of government uh, and, and city attractions happening in the suburbs, in, in Scarborough, in North York, in, in Etobicoke. Um, so to take the Science Centre that is, is one of the few big draws out of Scarborough and North York and, and move it downtown, um, you're really just taking away from the suburbs and, and uh, you know, it's, it's the people in the suburbs in a lot of cases that are paying for the, all the wonderful amenities that downtown Toronto has. And, and that's great. That's part of us being the world-class city that we like to tout ourselves as being, but uh, you know, we, we need to really reflect uh, our, our, our greatness across all the city, not just in one little pocket downtown. Um, so I, I think, though, we need to go with public consultation on that and then try and negotiate with Ford. Uh, I've heard that the city lawyers say there may be some ways to block uh, building at Ontario at uh, the Science Centre property and things like that with lease terms. And so I would certainly look at uh, exercising whatever power we have. But it always comes back to, you know, we're the kids and, and Doug Ford is, is the parent here in this case in the city. And uh, you know, we're, we don't get to tell them what to do, and that's just never going to happen. So we better learn to work well with the reality that we've got rather than trying to come up with all these fanciful claims of, oh, we're going to force them to do something. Um, as for the gardener, um, I think we're, we kind of know that we need people to be able to travel to downtown and we don't have a lot of other options. So, um, you know, if, if, it's going to cost us a lot more money to rebuild it and still be able to have traffic moving through that area. And, uh, um, so I think we're better off to spend the money at this point and improve it, but, uh, and, and do the maintenance that's required and, and keep it running for future decades. Um, but I think we need to, uh, to look at also when we start approving these mega projects, like there was also going to be the rail bridge down at the uh, Union Station there. Um, there needs to be the requirement if we're going to talk about some great big billion dollar project that we're going to build, part of that uh, approval process has to be included in that budget already is where the money's going to be to either uh, maintain it or tear it down when the time comes. But we can't just say, you know what, I'm going to spend a billion dollars today and it's the kids' problem to figure out how to tear it down or, or maintain it or whatever, as long as I get my buddies paid uh, what I want. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. And then I think crime's the other issue, right? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. We have about eight, nine minutes. Um, so real quickly, um, the police budget is the sticking point. You know, it's the single biggest line item in the in the city budget. Would you be in favor of, at minimum, looking for efficiencies or any other plans that you have to, uh, and then you, you can uh, parlay that into uh, addressing the crime? Go ahead. Absolutely. Thanks. Um, and as I mentioned, I got into this by going to the uh, police services board meetings. And so I that's really the area that I have the the best knowledge of the facts and what's going on. Um, and so, yeah, a $1.16 billion budget right now for policing. And uh, we know it's, it's 
you know, crime really isn't that out of control. The numbers aren't going up. We're not seeing that, but we are seeing a lot of issues with response time. And, uh, you know, it, it takes uh, six minutes on average for, for the highest priority calls, like an active shooting. And uh, the the lowest priority calls, if your, your neighbor's having a party, it's up to a six hour response time. So you can imagine calling at dinner time and at midnight, the cop shows up to deal with the party next door. Um, not much use. So part of the problem is the uh, right now, the Toronto police actually manage the 911 system. So they're the ones who answer the phone and they're the ones who decide who to send. And I use the analogy just like to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So, so too for a police officer, everything looks like something a police officer needs to respond to. And so right now, I think that's part of why we're seeing police being sent out to situations, whether it's mental health, and, and I appreciate they've made some steps to try and put in uh, uh, mental health uh, professionals from the Gerdstein uh, Health Institute into 911, but really that's a, a trying to do a minor fix rather than a major change. So I will take the 911 system and I'll make it a uh, civilian-led uh, city agency probably under the communications department and uh, they'll be the ones to decide who gets sent out um, to what calls. Uh, Chris, I just want to jump in real quick. The other thing, I'm not sure if you're aware of it. Uh, recently they, they just released for, for last year, the, the Ontario sunshine list yes. and specifically with regards to the city of Toronto. Um, I think the, 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 mo the, 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 the highest one that's not like a like the police chief uh, is like a sergeant, so like a uniformed officer, and he clocked in somewhere around three hundred thirty-six thousand dollars. And I'm sure there's more if you continue go uh, to go down in the two hundred thousands and stuff like that. Is that a product of too much overtime for these police officers? Uh, um, you know, Phil and I we were back and forth. I think we. We share some uh, uh, um, likes about the, the police, but but we disagree on other things. For me personally, I'll tell you that I'd love to see all this overtime cut out. You could save all that money and you could hire more officers with that money and you could still save money. But it all depends on what the work week looks like for a, a, a regular common Toronto police officer is it a 40-hour work week a 60-hour work week a 100-hour work week I'd love to hear what you have and, and how we can get this budget under control because it, it's it's those these are the kinds of efficiencies at least at least for my part that I'm talking about go ahead yeah absolutely and the um the way the you know right now we with the budget reports that come out it's always that um they're they're below budget on salaries for police officers and they're way above budget for premium pay because they've got all these uh, officers doing overtime work to, uh, to cover for the shortage of officers. Um, the, I mean, part of it is that right now we're looking at it's almost a two hour average response for the police officers on scene. So when a police officer responds to a call they're spending on average two hours. And that's not for the one out of the eight officers that respond or whatever it may be. That's average for all of them. And that is just ridiculous. And, you know, we've all seen where we, whether it's in photos and news reports or whether we've gone by a crime scene 
and there's not one or two cops standing around. There's 15 of them as one of them talks to somebody and the rest of them are just standing there. And so that really comes to management. And the problem is that the uh, police services board, who is actually employs the police officers, including the chief and, and who is responsible for all this, and that's where the mayor has a, a chair at the table, um, they haven't asked for the, the information. Why is this happening? Where is the, the waste in time? And, and what is that all being spent on? My background is as a business systems analyst and accountant and computer software developer. So I'm used to going into businesses and, and figuring out how they operate and, uh, and where the waste is and what needs to be done to actually make it run efficiently. And those are the kind of questions that we simply aren't asking and we don't have the information to really be able to come up with the good answers. But I can tell you for sure that addressing that kind of uh, amount of time being spent dealing with a call um, is part of the problem. And, and, you know, there's no way that it takes that long on average. I can understand in some cases, yes, you're going to have uh, delayed calls. But again, I think a lot of that is because we're sending police officers to calls where it's not something that's really a crime call. It's not something where they go, they take their report and they leave. It's something where it's a mental health issue and they've got to spend six hours trying to talk to somebody. And we're paying, you know, the cops start at almost $100,000 a year and go up from there pretty quickly. Um, so in a lot of cases, we're paying those of the senior officers that are more skilled at, uh, at speaking to people and have the better training. And so we're paying those people rather than paying social workers and people that are actually skilled and trained at, at uh, dealing with uh, mental issues and, and social problems. And, you know, so many of the things the police are the catch all where they respond to every call that comes in. But that comes down to we're not sending the right people out. And that's where having somebody else making the decisions of who to send is going to address part of that, too, so that we're not wasting that time. But it also comes down to good management at the top and, and knowing how to run a, a large uh, operation and knowing what questions have to be asked. Phil, you want to jump in? Um, so I have a question or I, I think it's a clarification but I'm worried my stat is wrong. Uh, so I'm going to give you my understanding of what the stat is. But without without full-throated endorsement, because I'm like, what if I'm wrong? Um, the, the number you stated for the priority one response time, uh, I believe six minutes is actually the target time. And what they actually have, uh, I believe the actual response time right now at TPS is uh, 20 to 30 minutes for those calls. I yes, actually, it's uh, I think it's six to fifteen minutes for the the priority one calls, and uh, twenty to to thirty odd minutes for the priority two, which is still you know an armed robbery or something like that. Um, right. And then priority three is still the high end emergency calls, and those are are I think up to an hour on average. So even that's only the average and. And yet there was a, you know, a recent call um, that I, I learned about it because there was an SIU report because the, the fellow had his rib broken and was hospitalized briefly um, because he, he went into a construction site and used a porta potty at night. 
Um, and police responded in, uh, I think it was two minutes. So okay. we know what John Tory's priorities have been. It's for providing police and security for private cor corporations and for rich folks and putting guards at police headquarters and city hall and all these kinds of things. That's where our police are actually spending a lot of their time. And But of course, because that's what John Tory wanted, there is no reporting of any information on that. So uh, that's something where in office, I would certainly be finding out what the actual numbers are. But uh, at this point, all I know is that there are a lot of problems there. I would, ag I would agree with that. And uh, so Chris, this is your opportunity to talk to the voters, our listeners, tell them why they should vote for a Mayor Langenfeld government. Don't forget to include your your um, your website. Go ahead, my friend. The floor is yours. Well, thank you again, Matthew. Um, it's uh, Chris Langenfeld, MayorChris.ca. And um, as I said, we, we need to get back to functioning government in this city. You know, we, we used to have a functioning government around here. It used to work. It wasn't falling apart uh, in the 1990s. We weren't all happy about everything, but... It certainly wasn't like it is today. And um, the reasons, you know, you got to look at what changes have happened. And, and you know, certainly Doug Ford was, uh, um, you know, a loose cannon in office and, and uh, or sorry, Rob Ford, um, and, um, and created some, uh, some issues there that, uh, you know, we don't want that happening again, but we do need the what the great things that Rob Ford provided an actual sense of caring about the people an actual compassion for what's happening and, and a willingness to talk to people and not just concerned about what a few rich folks are, are having in what's going on in their lives but really concerned about what's going on for all the people in this city and that's supposed to be what the mayor is uh, is here to represent and who they're here for. And, and that's my goal. Um, like I say, I got into this because I think we we need change. We need to uh, address these issues and we need somebody that actually cares about the people and is looking to listen and hear what they have to say. And that is me. And um, I, I can guarantee you my background uh, will make me able to address these kinds of issues. That's what I did in uh, in large corporations like Ontario Nurses Association, Hospital for Sick Kids, um, Credit Suisse First Boston Bank, places like that, uh, setting up their system. So I'm, I know how to uh, to go in and figure out what the problems are and find the solutions. And that's what I'm committed to doing for the people of Toronto. You know, so I got Chris it. Langenfeld, MayorChris.ca. You know, I got to say, uh, I didn't know that you had worked for Sick Kids and. Uh, I have a lot of respect for them. They did a lot for my my uh, my middle child. Um, yep. She's special yep. needs. So uh, I have a lot of respect for sick kids. And I, I didn't know that you worked for them. So that, that's... Well, ju just to... I All I did was went in and set up their computer and financial systems and then... You know, to put them onto their own thing, but it's uh, <laughs> but you're you're still a cog in the wheel, so it's all good. Like it, every everyone that works there is a cog in the wheel, right? So, amen. Uh, yeah. But uh, thank you so much for for coming on and and uh, you know letting us know what it would be like. Uh, and you know what we we love 
interviewing candidates. Uh, you know, when we started this podcast, uh, we weren't sure what we were going to talk about. It was the new term and then bang, we get hit with a by-election and then <laughs> now we've got all this. It's like great free content. <laughs> well, it was the same for me. You know, I thought I was going to have uh, four years to uh, at the end of the, the last election there. I knew that I hadn't set up a proper team and my plan was to make that happen over four years. And then all of a sudden we found out that Tori had, uh, you know, created enough problems and wanted to run away, I guess. And uh, done the deed. So. <laughs> Sorry? Uh, he done the deed. Well, uh, yeah, there you go. That he did. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, you know, it's, it's a challenge, but I'm, I'm so thankful that you guys are, are there to provide a, a a way for us to get in touch with the public because, you know, the mainstream media, they cover the, uh, the nine known names at best. And even that they've whittled down to five or six. And, uh, you know, those, like I say, those are the people that got us in this problem. They're the ones who created all these policies and, and did all this silliness that the rest of us, uh, know we never wanted and, and wouldn't vote for if we had the option. And, so we need somebody that's actually looking to get rid of all that and uh, to get us back to some sanity. And that was Chris Langenfeld. You know, right off the bat, I want to apologize to Chris because when I I, I know now because I, I've listened back and when I first introduced him during the interview, I don't know if you realize, but I actually called him Chris Langenfield, not Feld, and I apologize. Uh, what you what'd you think, Phil? Uh-oh. First of all, internally in my brain, I've been saying Langenfield the whole time. So uh, I'm very glad for this moment of uh, reflection and correction. Uh, our boy Langenfeld. I also, you know, I I know you like Rob Ford. And as a, outside the realm of, of his, a lot of his political, I want to say the things he, his political ideology I think there were positive things about Rob Ford. You know, he he did seem to, like, I felt like a lot of his was informed by community care, which does not seem to be the case with Doug Ford. But I, I do really get the sense that Rob Ford did like his community. Fuck Doug Ford. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Fuck Doug Ford. We're on the same page, you know? Um, so someone who just sort of looks at it as, he wants to be a guy who wants to be approaching communities like that. Good for him. So let's continue uh, what we were talking about before the interview. And I'm going to start by playing the videos. I'm going to play them. Do you, do you want to comment on each video or do you want me to play them all? And then we'll maybe maybe we should just play one at a time and then we can comment. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to start with Rob Davis's... Um, video which uh you know i spoke to him and uh he, he's 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 pretty upset but uh here we go we're blocked it's former city councilor rob davis what happened here yesterday was criminal no we're not calling the police but we are going to be reporting it to the city clerk you see myself and a few other candidates running for mayor of toronto were blocked and stopped from entering a meeting where residents, senior citizens who live here at 175 Cummer Avenue were expressing their concerns about a development that was happening or that is being applied for immediately next door to where they live. 
Can you imagine that? Elected officials paid for by the taxpayers using their authority to stop residents from being heard. It runs contrary to the Municipal Elections Act, and it runs contrary to the spirit of what the City of Toronto is all about. What I'm going to be doing is filing a complaint with the Integrity Commissioner and filing a complaint with the City Clerk so that residents like you can have your voice heard. When they try to block me from going to that meeting, they're blocking you from being heard. And if I'm elected Mayor of Toronto, I'm going to make sure there'll be no backroom meetings, no backroom deals, and nobody will be blocking your voice from being heard. So, I don't know if, let me just catch up the listeners. So, that was Lily Chang at the end there. And uh, with with what she said, you can stand there. Just make sure you're not intimidating for seniors. And Rob Ford took that as a racist comment coming from Lily Chang, who is an Asian Canadian uh, city councillor, and Rob Davis, who is a... What's the political term? Uh, he's not African-American, but he's what African-Canadian, I guess. Matthew, he's black. You're allowed to say sure. that. <laughs> uh, I just don't want to offend people because, you know, you call people, you know, you say, oh, you're a marshmallow. And then people lose their shit. So anyway, sorry. Well, listen, if you called me, if you called me a marshmallow, I'd be upset. But if you called me a meatball, it'd be cute. There's a difference. Your thoughts on that video. Language matters, Matthew. Um, I think the thing that I, I take away from it... Uh, oh, Matthew, are you frozen? Am I frozen? Nope, we're good. Okay, you're good. Um, I So we talked about this, um, I think, late last week, because uh, you called me. And at first, my confusion was that I thought Lily Chang had essentially been elected partially in opposition to this. So I thought I thought Lily Chang fighting them getting in was somehow her being in support of the of the of this project. I dis uh but I've seen sorry, you know what? I'm gonna let you finish and then I'll talk. I'm sorry, I usually just jump in. I, I that's a fuck no, no, I bad, gotcha. bad Matthew. Bad Matthew. That was nope. a nasty habit. You <laughs> you continue. That's right, you marshmallow. um but you know i've i've still i've seen more tweets from lily chang and it's still it's still the same stuff so she's not in favor of of this you know modular housing there it's not that it's a community that's in support of it um so i really would like more information from lily chang to to I don't want to assume bad faith. 
I would like to know if there was a proper reason. Okay, so now I forgot my fucking point. Um, okay. I apologize. No, no, no. That's <laughs> listen. We're we're good. Um, what I wanted to say was, oh, as far as the the election that she was elected in in October, um, I interviewed Marcus O'Brien Fuhr, who was her main competitor, and he was in support of the modular housing, which was initially, you know, took steps to be set up by his predecessor, Councillor Fillion, or however yeah, you say. Yeah, I actually had heard a bit about that. Okay, so. But but Lily Chang was the one who got elected. So right. perhaps, I, you know, I never got a chance to have a one-on-one -on -one with her. She was never available to me. Um, so I'm not sure if her position was clear. But it's clear to me that she is comfortable stepping back from things that she has, I don't know, promised, encouraged, declared, whatever word you want to use. Um, and that's just my personal uh, uh, take on the situation. Uh, it's my opinion. I, I can be wrong, but uh, this time I don't think I am. And uh, so at the end of his video, he's attached two small statutes. I'm going to read them. The first one is the Municipal Elections Act 1996. With uh, in regards to residential premises, no person who is in control of an apartment building, condominium building, nonprofit housing corporate uh, cooperative, or gated community may prevent a candidate or his or her representative from campaigning between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. at the doors to the apartments, units, or houses, as the case may be. And then the second one. The Residential Tenancies Act of 2006, no landlord shall restrict reasonable access to a residential complex by candidates or uh, candidates for election to any office at the federal, provincial, or municipal level or their authorized representatives if they are seeking access for the purpose of canvassing or just drop my phone or distributing election material. So there you go. Even if I, I don't see, I find it, I find it, um, it's confusing. I don't believe that three, and again, I'll use the word uh, prominent candidates would show up at the same building at the same time, there's a meeting going on simply to canvas. That I don't believe. I believe wholeheartedly they were there for the meeting because either they found out about it or they were invited to it. Right. Hey guys, Anthony Fury here running for mayor. Behind me is Willowdale Manor. It is a seniors complex. And right on the front line here, you'll see there's a patch of grass there that they are turning into what will basically become a drug injection site. They're calling it modular housing for the chronically homeless, but they admit there will be harm reduction going on. So a lot of residents have some serious safety concerns, and I don't blame them. Now, I was encouraged by residents and family members of residents to come here to an info session happening right now where people will voice their concerns. But I was told by Councillor Lily Chang that myself, Mark Saunders, and other mayoral candidates who showed up, 
were actually not welcome to attend, that it was just for residents of the complex only. We wanted to hear their concerns, but I'm still here. I'm taking a look at this site, and it's pretty clear that this is not an appropriate place to put up harm reduction facility, where you have seniors who use this as their green space. No more new injection sites in Toronto. Instead, we create treatment facilities to get people off of drugs. To learn more, go to fury.ca, F-U-R-E-Y.ca. Your thoughts? Quick single thought. I either forgot or I didn't realize that Mark Saunders was there. Or here's here's a new concern. Did he did he mix up Mark Saunders with Rob Davis? Oh my god! I hope not. No, no, that what uh, it uh, it's possible, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I hope not. So he he seems to think he's very clear that it's a safe injection site. And my problem is, is I don't, I don't believe he knows. I don't think he knows better than we do. I don't think he knows more about this than we do. So I, I think when he presents it that way, I do believe he is fear mongering. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, again, as, as we talked about it, we have a very different opinion on the safety and the efficacy of, of these sites. But the fact that we don't even know for sure if that's what the case is says to me that he's I don't think he's being very honest. Do you believe and this is an opinion you don't have to be right or wrong but do you believe the city would call it modular housing to dress it up but and maybe some modular housing exists but there's also going to be a safe injection site within the facility I, I guess is the right word? Well, so there is for sure, in fact, how we phrased it, there is going to be harm reduction in some sort of way. It's not necessarily safe injection site. And also, I think modular only refers to how the how the how they're built. Can I ask so I, I you for your opinion on what the difference is between safe injection and harm reduction? I, I think Dr. Dr. I, Phil, Dr. Phil. No, I'm um, kidding. <laughs> I think I'll have to. Anyways, um, I I think I think safe injection falls under the umbrella of harm reduction. I think harm reduction is has a lot more involved than simply just uh, like safe access. I think there's there's more more stuff than that. I don't know what those are, but that's that's just my understanding. Hey, that's better than I know. Um, to me, it all kind of. It's all kind of the same thing for me personally. Uh, I don't expect anyone to agree with me or believe in what I believe. It's what I believe in. Um, and uh, with that, let's go to the main event of the videos. So this is a video of Giorgio Mammoliti trying to enter the meeting at Willowdale Manor. So let's talk about this video because you've seen it and by now most of our listeners have seen it and they may be interested in what the fuck we have to say about it. So let's talk about it. Uh to be honest, you know, as we as we've talked about this whole situation with Lily Chang, I don't know 
what the circumstances were. With the other candidates, I like again, I would be very curious to to hear the justification for Lily Chang about keeping them out. With what really frustrates me with Giorgio Mamaliti coming in to oppose this. Now realizing again that I've said this community clearly has not supported this, which is and in that sense, I almost want to say, you know, the community doesn't support it, so it shouldn't be built. But, you know, it, it sort of goes into the, God, it has to happen somewhere. But my frustration specifically with Mamaliti was that two weeks ago, he had, he had talked about his, you know, no ideology, no politics, uh, a house over everybody's, a roof over everybody's head, not a lane under everyone's bike. I hate this because it's it's constantly, it's like it's pitting two good things that have nothing to do with each other and saying, as mayor, I can't accomplish both. So I'm only going to choose one. And he chose housing, which of the two, yeah, housing is more important than bike. Let's be real. No one is saying otherwise. If we're putting it on, on, a, on a temple, housing comes first. But then you go to, an, to this community meeting to talk about housing specifically for people who don't have a roof over their heads. And you're saying to them, go fuck yourself. Well, see, I'm, I disagree. Because I actually don't, we actually don't know what he was going to say. He never got to speak at the meeting. He was going because either he found out about the public meeting or he was invited. The fact that Lily Chang and the staff that works for Lily Chang were compelled to physically try and stop him from entering the meeting just blows me away and it 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 leads me to think that perhaps lily chang want, was in favor of this uh um modular housing even if initially she wasn't or she's flip-flopped and changed her mind a few times this time she was in favor of it and maybe she viewed the three candidates or four candidates or however many candidates showed up as being opposed to this. That's 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 possible, of course. But we actually don't know his position in this particular incident. For forget which is true. That's a good point. So I want to talk. I the conclusion there. No, no, it's all good. So you're, it's all good. I want to talk specifically what happens in this video. I know you've seen it. I've seen it. So he enters the room and Lily Chang instructs her staffer to stop him from coming into the meeting. So she literally throws her body in his direction and then... He won't back down because, but he's not pushing her. And then she has the gall to say to him, stop pushing me. Stop pushing me. 
and then waits waits for her. I think she shifted her weight from one foot to the other, and then he just sidestepped her and went and sat down. And then is that, she, this is this is a staffer, right? Yeah, this is the staffer. And then she goes Matthew, over and is, argues with him. The staffer? You're not, yeah, you're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be here. I've got another video. I'm gonna play it, but but seriously. You've seen the video, okay? The can we is, can we hold on, hold on, hold on. Can we isolate just this video, just this occasion? Is this okay? It's not it, it might, you know what? It doesn't matter what I think yet. I'll tell uh, no. people probably already under know what I'm gonna say, but no this is, is um, not okay. It's, silly. it's not a it's not okay for a city councilor to instruct their staff to physically assault somebody b it's not okay for a city of toronto employee to physically insult uh, uh, assault somebody your thoughts so i am i'm going to very tepidly come to the defense of the city staffer not 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 to say that what she did was correct but being put in a position i don't my my guess would be that lily chang's instruction to the staffer was if anything, don't let these people in. I, I don't think she would have said anything more specific than that. And then when you're given these limited instructions and you're like, oh my god, how am I supposed to do this? Um, again, I don't think she did the right thing. I, <laughs> I think she was just acting with what limited... Um, there's not a lot you can do. And well again... As I'm not supporting, I'm not supporting her doing doing what she did, but I I feel like she was put in in a hard place. I'll tell you my opinion quick, and then I got one question for you, and then we'll move on to the next video. So, in my opinion, when it comes to city staffers and what she did, she's the shits in terms of a city staffer, and I don't work for the city. I'm not Josh Matlow. I can call out the city staff. She's the That's shit. Right, and in my opinion, this is a fireable offense. What is your uh, position? If you uh, isolate, if you isolate this by itself, your go go ahead. I'm I'm still once again. I I, I still feel very strongly. Um, I think she just was flustered and didn't know what to do. And I, I don't know. I understand those moments of panic and not being sure how to follow instructions that you've been given. So I, again, I'm just, I'm coming to her defense purely because I understand that unsureness of how you're supposed to proceed. She's the shits. But let's get on to the next video. Let's talk about it. She flat out accused Giorgio Mammoliti of assaulting her um her staffer. I don't know if she realized at that point when she did that that 
she was being recorded or that the incident in question was also recorded. And therefore, we all know that when shit like this is recorded, it's going to be put online for the whole world to see. Uh, your thoughts? Oh, Matthew, I'm doing so much carrying water for... <laughs> it's getting I'm heavy, isn't so it? Much... What's that? <laughs> it's getting heavy, the water, isn't it? It's it's heavy because, once again, it's, it's not even me being... <laughs> It's <laughs> right now my my water carrying is simply saying, oh, my God, I'm it's like I don't even feel good about my justification here because it's like one. You're you're correct that she probably did not know she was being recorded. And I, I don't mean that as a there's a part of me that thinks that she thought what she was saying was the truth when it came to. Say you see that moment where the staff is pushing uh, Giorgio. Um, and I, I think from a certain angle, you could maybe see it as both of them pushing each other. I know that we've seen the video and that's not what's happening. But but what if that is what you see? And and so I, I, I'm carrying water for this idea that I, I guess I don't want to think of a sitting city councilor bold-faced lying i would rather that they were mistaken well there is a silver lining in this i, I don't know if you not in this situation but in the grand scheme of things i don't know if you heard but the federal government is reworking some lines and I believe Willowdale is going to get swallowed up into parts of other electoral districts, thus eliminating Willowdale altogether federally, which will be carried over provincially, which will yeah. be carried over municipally. Um, so, I mean, for the people that don't like Lily Chang, well, her time might be short here. Uh, for her supporters... I mean, watch the video. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Like, I, I don't know, man. I, I honestly, I, I covered this election last year. And even though I didn't talk to her, I would have pegged her maybe. Honestly, she, she, she was doing a lot of good, a lot of good. And if I didn't peg her center right, she would have been maybe a centrist. And mm. that's just, that's just my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. And I know that Giorgio Mamaliti is a right winger. I know that, but I don't think he's as far right as, say, you know, <laughs> fucking Donald Trump. No, I, no. I, I always seem to get his name in every episode for some reason. <laughs> Actually, you know, before as a quick sidestep, something I, I learned that absolutely blew me away. Did you know Giorgio Mamaliti was with the Ontario NDP? No, I did not know that. He was an MPP <clears throat> when they were in power in the 90s. That blows me away because it absolutely blows me away that doesn't sound like it's not his style he's a conservative i know isn't that wild it is very wild and with that do you have any final thoughts before we move on to our final interview on this situation other than her staffer is the shits go on you're, you're... <laughs> i'm i'm carrying i know i'm carrying a lot of water um <clears throat> I'm carrying a lot of water for Lily Chang and her staff, despite the fact that 
I oppose a lot of uh, what Councillor Chang has uh, supported. I mean, she's not all bad, but um, it's a bit of a messy situation, and it would be nice to get some clarity about it. And oh. I would very much, I really want to find out if Mark Saunders was there or if Anthony Fury accidentally mixed actually, up Mark Saunders. Actually, hold on a second. Hold the phone before we oh, go shit. anywhere. I almost forgot the fucking best part. Oh. So I emailed Lily Chang. Oh, yeah, I, I, I remember that. Oh, no, but 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 hold on. So I never got a response, but I'm going to read the email. Okay. Because why the fuck not? Why the fuck not? Okay, let me just find it here. Well, wow, I've sent a lot of emails. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Hi, Counselor Chang. We here at the Municipals Podcast are running a story about the Willowdale Manor incident involving Anthony Fury, Giorgio Mammoliti, and Rob Davis. We would like to extend the opportunity for you to join us this coming Monday for our podcast recording at 7 p.m. We would love to hear what happened from your side. If you cannot make the recording, we would love a comment or two about the incident. We have been covering Toronto municipal politics since the new term began and are also covering the by-election. Thanks, Matthew and Philip. No answer. You know so, what? So that hold sucks. On. So absolutely, I e that sucks. So I emailed. Is the water getting heavier? So then oh, I. E so then I emailed Councillor Fletcher because she. But oh, for our listener, because this is a fucking audio podcast. In the videos, uh, if you watch them, you'll be able to pick out her voice because it played over the recording. Councillor Fletcher was also there. Um, oh. So I wrote, hi, Councillor Fletcher. We here at the Municipals Podcast are aware of the incident that took place at the Willowdale Manor during a residence meeting. You were there, as the video online has shown. I'm wondering if you will comment on what took place and why Anthony Fury, Giorgio Mammoliti, and Rob Davis were banned from the meeting, which, if I'm to understand, was a public meeting. We are covering this story for our episode coming out next week. We have covered municipal politics since the new term began and are also covering the by-election. Any comment on this issue, as well as the by-election, would be appreciated. Thanks, Matthew and Philip. No answer. Oh, damn it. Matthew, I was really hoping that you were going to give me a... We got a response. No answer. And uh, it's very disappointing because these are the for, for, for one second, forget the by-election. These are elected officials. I absolutely who, agree. Who in theory work for their constituents. And I may not live in Ward, wherever the fuck Fletcher's from. And I don't live in Willowdale. I live in Rexdale Ward 1. But I can't even get one word sentence from my fucking counselor. But that's a yeah. story for another day. I want to yeah. end this part by telling you that they did do a vote the in the meeting, the residence meeting, and it was defeated. So yeah. I don't I don't know if that was a quote unquote public consultation meeting. I don't know if that vote means, oh well, the residents said no, so I guess we're not gonna build it. Because I, I firmly believe they're still gonna build it. Do you believe it's going to happen? I I think it'll be interesting just to... I think I need to find out if that vote was like a an actual vote or if that was sort of like a community support 
vote, if that makes sense. It, if it's it, like it looked more like a, stop it? it. I don't know, but it looked more like a computer a community support vote. Um, I yeah, think so I, I'll I think send you the video. I'll think I'll send you the video. I would play it now, but there's no audio on it that, that I can tell. So, but uh, I'll send you the video. But let's go to our next interview, and then we'll come back and wrap it up. And welcome back. We're joined by 2023 by-election mayoral candidate Ari Grossman. I hope I pronounced that right. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So Ari, let's get right into it right away. I'm going to give you the floor. I'd love to hear about your your policies and your plans that you'd implement uh, should you win the mayor's chair. Go ahead. All right. So first and foremost, my name is Ari Grossman. I am the second 18-year-old candidate running for mayor. That's amazing. You know, I'm just going to stop you real quick. I just want to let you know that we covered the election. Well, I covered the election last October. We only had one 19-year-old candidate, youngest candidate in the whole game. So I'm glad that there are more young people because you guys are the future and we need young people like you to get out and vote. And I would argue that most young people don't vote and that's a problem. But go ahead. I didn't mean to take the floor from you. No, no, no. It's all good. But it is, it's definitely my whole campaign is standing up for what's right. And even... I think every candidate who's in it, they have their own vision of Toronto, of how they want to make it better. And that's the same thing I have. It's about advocacy. It's about standing up for those who have historically been oppressed and those who can't voice their opinion. And that's exactly what I'm doing. That's amazing. And uh, what about your, uh, you know, what do you think are the, the three biggest issues going into this election? I think the three biggest issues, definitely, especially in the city of Toronto, we've got Housing, which is skyrocketed. We have TTC violence. And we also have something that goes hand in hand, which is the addictions crisis as well as homelessness. I'd love for you to uh, expound a little bit on each one of those. And if we have questions, we'll interrupt you. Go ahead. Sure. So the first plan is on the TTC. TTC, it's no secret that violence has skyrocketed. And Public confidence in the transit system is at an all-time low, which is extremely problematic. People are going to work fearing for their lives each day, and something must be done. Currently, well, when it was under John Tory's leadership, their plan was, okay, let's put 200 police officers into the TTC, and this will lower crime. Under that model, it would have been expected that even if there, that there would have been at least a slight decline in crime, which is not the case. I'm reading through, you see the Toronto Police Twitter, you see stabbings, shootings, everything is unprovoked. These people are fearing for their lives. That's why under my under my leadership, if I were to become mayor, we would have a joint mental health task force, which consists of social workers and police officers, along, as long, along with registered nurses. What they would do is they were they would essentially um, they would they would identify behavior that would that could cause violence or people or people who are in crisis on the TTC. And we can help those people to get the supports they need. And also we can make Toronto a place where those people get the supports they need. So they're not essentially circling the drain. I mean, we've all seen it. I'm sure you guys have taken the TTC. I've taken the TTC. I take it very frequently. We all see those people who need help, but they're not getting the supports that they need. Absolutely. 
And uh, Philip, do you have do you have a question um, uh, regarding the TTC? Um, you know, obviously, yes. The the crime is an issue, and I think part that kind of there's God, that's a it's a multifaceted issue that all the issues on the TTC and and crime and all of that. Um, but I, oh, I really so desperately, I so desperately want to ask you about. And I understand at 18 years old, I don't expect you to be an economist. Well, I even said that word very poorly. Sorry, I'm 34 and I can't say words correctly. So that's our that's our gap here. Um, for me, and I, I ask, I'm, I'm trying to make this about TTC, but it's, um, I feel like it's, it's our city's financial situation that I really want to ask you about. Um, because the city of Toronto is in like huge hole financially. And I, I feel like to solve any of our problems in the city, we have to resolve that. And of course that includes anything that we use to resolve violence on the TTC or um, I was going to start by asking about the service and, su and such, but um, Ari, do you have any thoughts on the city's revenue on how to increase revenue? I do. So what that would entail is, as we know, that also goes in, in um, hand in hand with my housing plan. And what that would entail is a vacant home tax. Currently, it sits at 1%. Under my leadership, I'd like to, I'd like to increase that to 2.5%. If a property has been classified as vacant for 90 days, or if it's under construction, they'll have 365 days to complete the construction, or it will be taxed at the 2.5%. And I think that will generate a lot of revenue. And also what we're going to do is we're going to have a property tax increase, but not on residential owners. It would only be on large corporation owners. Those are the people that are owning these giant condo buildings, high rise things. It's not going to affect the every, everyday middle-class person. It's only going to affect those big billionaires who will keep exploiting our middle-class citizens in the city of Toronto. That sounds really good. And uh, in terms of uh, generating revenue for the TTC specifically, um, what kinds of, uh, I guess, what kinds of uh, things would you look to do, uh, whether it be, you know, of a, of a real estate uh, nature or, I don't know, fill, fill in the blank. I'd love to hear what you have to say. I think that... The vacant home tax will definitely add a lot of revenue. In addition, the TTC at pre-pandemic levels had about 1 million riders per day. And if you can do the math, especially with the fare hikes, that's a lot of revenue. And also that adds up to in my other point, we will reverse the fare hikes back to 2019 levels for fares. And if we had the 1 million riders a day, the TTC would actually generate revenue too because of the amount of people who are doing that. Additionally, another way, another problem we have with the TTC, which is affecting our revenue, is that there's so many people fare-evading. We've all seen those Presto doors. They're not very tall. I'm five foot 11 myself. If I wanted to, I could hop it. Someone five inches shorter than me could probably hop it. If you look at, for example, in New York City, they have those big turnstiles while also having accommodations for those who cannot make it through the turnstiles for those who have physical disabilities 
If we implement that strategy in, we'll have way less fare evasion, way more revenue. Some numbers point to that there's about somewhere between 200,000 to 300,000 fare evaders a day. I mean, you can do the math. If people are, do, are paying $3.20 in fare, multiply that by 200,000. That's a lot of fare per day. Absolutely. And uh, switching topics, how, what's your position on uh, what's going on with the Ontario Science Centre? Uh, what's going on with Ontario Place? And finally, the your position on the Gardner Expressway, whether to rebuild it, tear it down, or some sort of hybrid option. Go ahead, the floor is yours. Well, I think with the Science Centre, that is using costs for things that won't have a difference. Doug Ford has repeatedly touted that even though the Science Centre will be moved, there will be no job losses. <clears throat> I mean, if the place will be half the size it's physically impossible for them to keep all the staff. And Doug Ford knows that. We need to keep our, especially with a private Ontario place, that's not for middle-class people. We need to have a place where everyone can be a part of it. We're not creating a city of Toronto where there's going to be these elitists who get everything in a private Ontario place with luxury spas and these beautiful gardens. We can make these gardens beautiful without having to charge people for entrance. That's an elitist thing that it would keep so many people from enjoying our parks. Absolutely. In terms of uh, the Gardner, what's your position on oh, that? Yes. The Gardner Expressway and all highways and roads for that matter, they're not future-proof. The, the, there's projections that show that we're going to have an exponential increase in our population. That's due to the natural increase in population as a result of immigration, which we need. And that's also because Statistics Canada shows that there's people flocking to cities. People want to live in our, in our big economic centers, such as Toronto. Rather than having the Gardner Expressway, I think we need to focus on, we need to focus on having larger scales of transit that's more reliable and more safe. If we can have these things like the Ontario line expedited, we can have more people taking the subways to work. We can have more people relying on bus lines. If we have that, we don't need the Gardner Expressway. This is a more green option that's way more environmentally friendly. And we also have, we could also accommodate those who can't afford a car yet need to travel to the epicenter, which is the city of Toronto. In terms of expediting the, uh, for example, the expansion of the, the Ontario line, what would that look like uh, to you? Would it be like 24-7 construction until it's done? Or what, what would that look like? I'm, I'm curious. I think there's two there's two ways that we would need to go around that. The first is, is that it's no secret. We've seen it with the Crosstown, though the Ontario line is in very early stages. The Crosstown, Metrolinx has not been held accountable. Some candidates are arguing that we should have a public inquiry into why the Crosstown gets continuously delayed. A public inquiry would take months, if not a year, to get done and leave us with limited answers that would take even more months to implement those solutions. We don't have that type of time. I think rather, as you mentioned, we need to expand the working hours in the parts of where there's no residential housing so that people won't be disturbed by the noise of it. But at the same time, we need to hold Metrolinks accountable and find strategies that ensure that things are kept to their deadlines rather than getting continuously extended 
with no repercussions for those actions. Bill, go ahead. Um, you know, speaking of Metrolinks, I mean, it's I don't know if it's in your area, area, area. I don't know where you're where you're coming from in the city, but uh, I've had this very this thought with uh, specifically the the Scarborough uh, subway extension that's also being headed by Metrolinks, where a lot of people are expected to take a Line Three shuttle bus instead of the the RT that was there for asterisk seven years uh of course to say that because how do we trust that metrolinks will get a project done in the timeline that they stay um what sort of i mean i feel like I'm, I'm coming around to it but like what are the mechanisms uh from your understanding uh i understand you're not the mayor, so that you wouldn't know at this moment. But what kind of mechanisms do you think we'd have to hold Metrolinks accountable? I feel like that's sort of, it feels like a hard question. You're absolutely right that it's a tough question. And at the municipal level, the truth is, is that Metrolinks is a subsidiary of the government of Ontario, which does put us in a little a bit more of a precarious situation in terms of our footing. But the one thing we have to do is we need to publicly speak out against it. Right now, I find that City Council is tiptoeing around Metrolinks. The government of Ontario is tiptoeing around Metrolinks. Doug Ford even said this week or late last week, he doesn't even know when the crosstown will be done. If Doug Ford doesn't know from his internal documents, who will know? We need to have a strategy that speaks out against it and, and holds them accountable in a public perspective. Because once the public loses their trust in them, and that they see that the role models, the people in charge of the city don't have trust in them, it'll spark a public outrage. And of course, we need to protest that. Change wasn't made overnight. We can't do anything. Okay, I'm going to implement this solution. Tomorrow it'll be changed. The sad truth is we can't. If we have a, if we have a joint stance, and that's the beauty of independent, of independent politics in municipal government, is that we can work together across, it doesn't matter if you're right wing, left wing, or anywhere in between, we can work together and we can hold Metrolinks accountable through public, through publicly talking about it rather than internal documents, which is the current state of the issue right now. Uh, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, what about, I don't know if you're, you're up to date, one other candidate wants to sue Metrolinks. Is that something that, that you'd be in favor of or? To be honest, I'm not a legal expert, and the things that would that would be directly suing the government of Ontario because it is a subsidiary, yeah. which, I mean, I'm not, once again, I'm not a legal expert, but that seems like a very difficult thing to do to build a legal case against. With that being said, I feel that legal cases take time, and we don't have the time for this to go through years of the courts. We need to find a solution within a month or two, and we need to implement that solution. And a legal case would take way too much time to build. We need evidence, we need facts, and then we need the courts to hear the case. That is not a short timeline. That is a years-long timeline that would be done far after the Crosstown were to be done, even at the current pace. Absolutely. And um, Phil, do you have another question? Um, do you want to talk about the police? <laughs> Oh no, I don't know. Uh, Ari, I have a, a very, 
I have a very strong anti-police stance. Um, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna project that onto you here. <laughs> Instead, I'm just gonna talk about. I mean, we've been talking about revenues and and the city's, uh, you know, in a bad spot financially. And one of our largest single items in the city budget, of course, is our police. Uh, $1.16 billion annually, where it feels like, um, you know, the results aren't really getting better. Uh, Response times are huge, long. Um, The solution doesn't seem to be giving them more money because it seems like they get that money and what do they do with it? Would Would you be in favor of perhaps shifting some of the police budget to other services or do you have any other thoughts uh, in terms of the Toronto police? And I'll just put in uh, what Philip said and, or looking for efficiencies, because that seems to be the thing that nobody wants to do. Nobody since Rob Ford has looked for efficiencies specifically within the police budget. Go ahead. I think you're absolutely right that we're seeing police budgets increase year over year and they keep requesting additional funding, but we're not seeing those results. I think that rather than, so I think that this would go hand in hand with maybe not defunding the police, but rather reallocating those resources. You're completely right that response times are up. Rather than having more cops on the road, keep hiring more cops, we need to have more mental health units mental health units that are in every single division of Toronto police that run 24 seven and any time a Toronto police officer is to request mental health assistance, that a mental health unit, a cop and either a registered nurse or a social worker can respond within 15 minutes of hearing that call because police go ask any police officer. The vast majority will say they don't know how to respond to mental health crises. They're not trained for it. Police are trained to de- handle violence. A mental health crisis is not violence. Violence is stabbings, shootings, robberies. Those are things that social workers can't respond to on their own because that would put them in danger. That's a police problem. Rather, we need to focus on mental health units and we need to focus on our mental health services because that will alleviate the amount of calls that Toronto police receive. Absolutely. Um, in terms of... Uh... I guess, how do we get the violence, though, under control? Because, I mean, we can talk about money all we want, but the actual violence, the root cause of the violence, what do we do about that? Well, violence after the, I guess we could argue that we're in a bit of a post-pandemic stage in Canada. And we saw... uh, a decrease in violence in 2020 when stuff was on hold. We were in lockdown. COVID was rampant. Now we're seeing an exponential increase. And I think one of the problems is, is that people turn to violence, people turn to gangs because they don't have a healthy place to put that energy. They don't have a sense of belonging somewhere. And that's very sad. And I think one of the things we need to do is strengthen our recreation programs. I actually personally, just before this campaign, I'm on a leave of absence right now. I was a member of QP working as a lifeguard for the city of Toronto. I got got paid $19.14 an hour. It took me over six months to get the job. That's between handing in the resume to getting shifts offered. Over six months. I think that if if we had more recreation programs, if we expedited the process 
and removed the gatekeeping policies, keeping our recreation workers away, we can have more recreation programs, which would create a positive outlet for that, for that immaturity, for the things that go on with violence. Can and I, that would decrease level. Can I interrupt you for a second? I just want to, is, are you saying that the pandemic is responsible for that six month gap? Or are you saying it's the policies that exist uh, uh, for recre recreation workers within the city of Toronto? I'm just, I just want a little bit of clarification. Sorry. I think that, sorry, I do get ahead of myself. I think that the issue is, is that it's a combination that the city of Toronto doesn't have, doesn't have enough extra extracurricular activities that could have a positive space for those in their young to mid twenties and those in their teenage years to, to have a positive outlet for their energy and that would take away from the violence rather than turning to gangs, turning to violence. They can turn that into harvesting their skills in things that tailor to their interests. And that would be a great way to reduce violence. Sounds good. Um, I, at the top of the uh, interview, you mentioned uh, um, addressing homelessness was one of your planks. And I I'd love to know um, more about that. Uh, go ahead. The floor is yours. Homelessness is a huge crisis, especially given the cost of living in Toronto. Estimates point that you need to make over $23 an hour to afford the city of Toronto. That is an absolutely absurd statistic, and that's leading to our rise in homelessness. One of the things that is extremely problematic is that we have anti-homeless architecture, but also that there's a lack of trust in our shelter system. People are in fear of violence. There's people who are sadly dependent on alcohol. And those people don't feel welcome in the shelter system. They feel stigmatized by shelter workers and they feel stigmatized by the system as a whole. Rather, we need to focus our supports on long-term solutions. And I think one of the things we need to do to solve our homelessness crisis is that we need to, we need to have a jobs program that also, with the help of the city, addresses the mental health needs of many of the homeless people so that they're in a good enough mental health situation where they can work. And to do that, we would have centers that would help homeless people ha get their social insurance numbers, apply to jobs, work with the private sector, along with the city of Toronto, to fill those job vacancies. We're in an unemployment crisis right now. Unemployment is at an all-time low, and people are searching for for jobs. People are not searching for jobs in the way that it was as hard to come by in previous in previous years. If we can work with the private sector as well as the City of Toronto job opportunities to get those who are suffering from homelessness and those who are in poverty stable sources of income while addressing the mental health issues, those people will become less dependent on our shelter system and be able to live lives where they can be have higher quality of life as well as be more independent in a way that's healthy. Homelessness is a public health crisis is the truth. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Philip, I'll give you the last question before we end things here. You're on mute. Uh oh, I, was muted. I didn't realize. Um, oh, I feel like I was on such a roll today of good questions. Uh, oh, now I'm burning out quick. Area, it's a quarter to nine. It's past my bedtime. <laughs> um, you know, burn it out. 
Uh, oh my god, Matthew, I'm burning out. I didn't go with the final question. I was doing so well. That's okay. You know what? We have covered such we have covered a lot <laughs> in such a such a little bit of time. So Ari, we appreciate you coming on and we want to give you this time to speak directly to our listeners, to the voters, <coughs> and tell them why they should vote for a, a Mayor Gross, Grossman, I think is how you pronounced it, uh, government. I, I'd love to hear uh, your final thoughts. Go ahead. The floor is yours. Oh, so and don't, once again, don't, uh, don't forget to include your website. Sorry. Okay. And so once again, I, my key pillars is that, yes, I am young, but at the same time, I've seen the problems in the city of Toronto. I have the solutions to address them. And I think I would argue that my young perspective is something that we that could help create a future proof Toronto somewhere where we don't have to go taking the TTC, wondering if we'll be stabbed or make it home safely. I don't want to see a Toronto where no one no one can decide if they have to choose between paying their rent or buying groceries. These are things that are no, no person should have to decide in the city of Toronto. I have the solutions. We have ways to increase taxes on the rich, keep the taxes the way they are on the middle class, and make life more affordable for the middle class. Sounds great. And your website is? Um, I'm currently running on Instagram, which is at okay. Ari for Toronto. And my Twitter is at Ari for Mayor T.O. Thank you so much for, for coming on and, and giving us the, the young person's perspective. We really appreciate it, and we wish you nothing but luck on the campaign trail. Thank you very much to both of you. And that was Ari Grossman. Even though we called him Grossman to begin, I apologize. We fuck up names here a lot, so I apologize for that. But, you know, I'll say this this guy i believe he said he's the second 18 year old i can't wait to interview the other guy but the young people you know i can see a bright city future with with and I, i'm not saying this word derogatory uh, it's not meant in a derogatory manner but kids like like ari and and this other candidate and uh, and also you know kids like hope shire very bright future politically speaking for the city of toronto your thoughts on the interview phil um i was very happy to talk to him he has you know he's it's it's hard because i don't want to i don't want to what sort of i want to look for i don't want to put him down by saying oh it's so it's so good that you're capable of this at 18 but i am i mean it's like you know, you're he, he came with his numbers. He he came he came to play. He was well informed. He you know, and, and the stuff it affects you at these ages. And it's like we talk about low voter turnout, especially <clears throat> with our youth, but then we've got those participating in the system even at that age. And it's like I don't know, I think that's pretty cool. Good for him. The other thing I will say is that you know because I, I covered the last election and I've had a podcast now for fuck a long time. If you include the other podcasts, I've listened to a lot, a lot of people speak. And I mean, he, 
I'm not saying like he's the best I've ever heard, but he is, he's up there on the list. The way that he speaks, um, it's very, and the fact that he's so young, it's very, very good. And it bodes well. And even if he loses this, this election, that does not mean it's, it's the end public speaking, I think could actually be his future. Um, He, he didn't get, he didn't, as far as I could tell, I mean, you, you, you may have a different opinion, but he didn't stumble. He didn't mince words. He didn't, you know, like we always do let out a curse word. Uh, he didn't, he was very, very well spoken and it, it's even more impressive because he's 18. Your thoughts. You know, what I, I think is going to be cool is how much of an opportunity he has to build off <clears throat> of this run. You know, 18 years old, first stab at politics. You know, it's not it's not a recipe for success. And there was an element, um, and I, I hope he doesn't take offense to this, during uh, our interview where he talked about a few things on, like, timelines of, like, years. And he's like, that's too long. There's truth to what he says, but then there's also the fact I think that he is younger so he doesn't realize that some of this stuff actually does take years to do. Um, and I, I think that's just a an age thing. I think that's simply, you know, you're you you know what I mean? He doesn't quite know that. But I feel like he's, you know, by starting now, he's he's just essentially got infinite room to grow. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And hey, Ari, if you're listening. Keep trying. If, if this election doesn't work out for you, keep trying. Keep going at it. Run for city council. Run for trustee. Run. Join us on council, baby. Run, run uh, provincially. Run federally. Run. If you're serious about about running, you don't have to be a politician to run. The best politicians, I'm uh, sorry, the best uh, elected representatives are not politicians. I.e., Rob Ford. Even though you know he was on council for years, but but he's a businessman. But anyway, that'll be the last time I plugged Rob Ford. I promise. Oh well, this week, yeah. um, let's close the show with this, and this is something that I teased Phil about on the phone earlier this week. We're gonna get in our uh, not time machine, our ship, and we're gonna move off municipals. And we're going to do the federal pal thing, but it's going to be U.S. federal pal because there is an issue I want to talk about. U.S. pals. However, to give it context, I'm going to add ask a broad question, and it's going to blow your mind. Oh, what is your position on capital punishment? Um, I'm. Fundamentally, I'm against it. I and I'm not. I don't know. I'm not going to condemn every time it happens. My simple position is that I'm against it. It's more complicated than that, I guess. Can I just ask for even if it's just one? And any anything you say is is obviously it's acceptable. But I'm just for for. Do you have a reason, or you're just? Kind of, is it kind of hard to get into, or? I think it's just it's. I would let me just say the biggest my biggest reason would be the messiness of 
the criminal justice system, especially in the United States, and you know, for the potential of a of a false verdict. Not that it's a universal thing, not that's even common, as far as I understand. But I mean, there have been instances where people have been uh, murdered by the state, uh, capital punishment, and then later they were exonerated. I mean, uh, it's complicated. Okay, so the reason I ask is, okay, for uh, for more context, your opinion, the state of Florida, is that a red state or a blue state? I believe it's a red state, but I might be wrong. My my understanding is that previously it's been electorally pretty purple, but it is right now. Purple. What uh, the fuck is purple? Oh, purple <laughs> is that's um. What do they refer to that? That's a, it's like a battleground state. Oh, so it's like it could go. But they have a Republican uh, like, governor, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like you know there are states like um there are some states that always go. <clears throat> Like like Texas is always red. Texas is Which always so red. red New York and California are always blue. Well, yes, you got it. Okay, um, so and then of course, go on. Yeah. Um. So I do understand Florida electorally <clears throat> to be purple, but they do right now, of course, have a Republican governor. Um, and I think most of the. As far as I understand, most of the time their electoral votes in um in their presidential elections do go Republican. So I don't know if you can already see where I'm going, <clears throat> but I read an article uh, within the last week or two. Fuck, I don't know. My timeline's all fucked up. That says that Florida has passed a law that puts capital punishment the death penalty on the table for child sex offenders who molest rape whatever word you want to use sexually assault a child 12 years of age or under and i for one applaud them your thoughts um there's all right no justification for child mutilation child molestation all that stuff no excuse it's a crime it's disgusting um it's a difficult it's a difficult conversation not not because there's anything controversial with you know if someone gets catching kids they go to jail straight to jail i'm i'm not opposed to that but the problem is they get out the problem is they get out phil that's the problem but no and i i understand that but there is an element where the reason why we do have jails and we have prisons is they're supposed to be, and I understand that that's it's not really been the case, hasn't really worked out, but they're supposed to be rehabilitative. I don't know. It's it's assuming. I don't know. It's it's hard because it's like it's assuming that it's like people aren't. It's so, a disgusting act, so, but like okay. Time out for a second. So let's you called it a purple state, but it's it's got a red governor. Do you see this law being passed in other red states like Texas? I think Arizona's red. Um, could this potentially be 
carbon copied right over the United States of America? That's one question, and I, I want you to answer that. And then what do you think the chances are? Obviously, we don't we we don't do capital punishment here in Canada. Um, so it's it's actually kind of hard for me to ask, well, do you think we could bring it to Canada? Because we don't even kill murderers. But anyway, your thoughts on whether or not it could spread, that law could spread throughout the United States. Theoretically, of course. I guess it depends because it's like the elimination of the death penalty. In the U.S., the death penalty has mostly been phased out. Um, and that was a very conscious kind of movement away. Um, but I, I guess there's a lot of, I feel like for it to be a a sort of, I feel like it would be a very strong reactionary kind of response. But I, I, I don't know if they would actually do that. You're talking about, or are we still talking about Florida? No, like copying the laws oh, into okay. other red states. See, here's here's my thought on this. Let's for let's for argument's sake say someone commits that crime now that that law is passed in Florida, and it's in Florida that they do it, and now they're eligible for the death penalty. I, I I'm sorry, I can't see anybody coming to this person's defense. No. To block the death penalty, I I can't. As a as a I, father I, I, of three children, and as a as a child victim of sexual assault, I will state that for the record. I'm very sensitive about this shit. I want it to be eradicated. You know, um, again, my personal opinion, but I just I just thought that this would be a great way to close the show. I didn't mean to to hit you over the head with that, but it just, it amazes. No, it's, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot did to you, it. Did you hear about this? What I'm referring to? No. Yeah. It, um, no. I had, it, 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 I'm not advocating killing people. I'm well, I guess theoretically I, I, Oh, fucked up. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I understand what you're saying. But if if they're going to make the death penalty eligible for people that want to commit that crime, I don't see the problem with that. They still have to prove it in a court of law. I I think if they're I think it's just a matter of do you already have the death penalty for other stuff? No, I, I don't know. It's weird. No, no. The Florida does have the death penalty for murder. Okay. You know what? In that case, um, I would say that's maybe consistent. I I left I left that part out. I just I thought that that was implied. I wasn't to be honest, I wasn't sure because okay. I I did think for the most part the United States had not not entirely, but mostly had shifted away from uh from the death penalty. So I I only thought it would be and it would be yeah, if they do it for other things, I would say if if that's how they resolve things, yeah, child molestation, whatever, it fits the bill. Um, as I said, of it's course, a hard, it's a hard, with... it's a hard subject to talk about. I know. 
It really criminal it, justice. It really is. But with that, you know, I think we've reached uh, the point of no return <laughs> here on the show. That's true. There you go. That's the bottom of Florida. <laughs> oh, mic drop. <laughs> um, with that, I think uh, I think we're good here. I think uh, we had good interviews today. Next week, for our listeners, we are going to have prominent candidate Mitzi Hunter on the show. I am so excited. The prodigal daughter has returned, Philip. We'll we'll have to talk some good stuff. I am excited. Um, She was maybe my favorite part of the Ontario Liberal government, which I have said ad nauseum that I did not like. She is my yeah, favorite. Say, part. Matthew, that's not that's not a high praise. <laughs> I I really, really like her. I wish when I was a conservative supporter, which I am not anymore, I wished I said, Oh, can you cross the floor? Please, <laughs> can you cross the floor and join the right team? But she stayed where she is, and maybe it was better for her because, you know, fuck the conservatives. (laughs) And with that... No disagreement from me. And with that, Philip, we are done here. Let's let's get out of here. You ready? All right. All right. So, you know, for Phil and for Frank and uh, Chris and Ari and everyone else, thank you, guys. We will see you next week. This is the municipal. Have you been paying attention to like city stuff? Don't vote, can't bitch. Sorry to uh, to point that finger at you. My answer was that would be yes and no. My tummy hurts, and I'm mad at the government. You're saying council wouldn't approve it, and two, you're robbing them of their their voice. It's it's he's already he's already failed to uphold it.